Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, June the 6th, 843-661937. Back in the fold for a five-day work week after consecutive four-day work weeks for yours truly. Can't speak for my um my hard-working mm-hmm. partner in crime, the Royal Rev. Good morning, sir. How are hey, you? Good morning. And you got a little pep in your step this morning? Uh, Yeah. The Braves are officially a game above 500. Yep. You hear that, Mike? Free hole. The Braves are officially one game over 500. The Phillies fired their manager. Once again, let's give um, let's make sure we advertise this. Yes. Um, this sports segment brought to you by Bird of a Thousand Gods. Right. Um, and we'll do it real quick, and we'll get to the politics of today because we're one week out from a consequential Republican primary in the seventh congressional district. Uh, we'll play some audio sooner than later on what um, Congressman Rice had to say yesterday in an interview with uh, Jonathan Carl, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I got on a text thread over the weekend uh, with a bunch of Rice supporters. Um, There's some out there, a bunch of Rice supporters, and um, they were promoting, you know, this interview that Rice was going to do with Jonathan Carl. Um, But Jonathan Carl wrote the book Betrayal. You know, I mean, uh, imagine hmm. uh, the guy that's going to give. And, uh, it was on, and he's on ABC. Sure, right? but he's on ABC, works for Stephanopoulos, works in the fold of Stephanopoulos, in ABC News. But uh, anyway, uh, we're back five days a week. Revs Braves are a game over 500. I nearly wore my Gamecock shirt today in honor of not making the college baseball um, <laughs> tournament. Um, but And I don't know what happened. I didn't keep up with any of that over the I actually spent a good bit of the weekend paying attention to politics. I mean, I really did. I felt like, hey, we're getting real close uh, to the uh, finish line here in South Carolina. Now, not in other places, but in South Carolina. The other primaries will be spread out amongst the, the ballots of the summer. I think um, August 2nd, if I'm not mistaken, is the Arizona primary. Uh, why does that matter? Why have we paid attention to Arizona? Uh, excuse me, Wyoming. I'm sorry, Wyoming. Let me get this straight. Arizona's Blake Masters. Wyoming is Liz Cheney and Herod Hagman. Why have we played, or why have I paid close attention to Wyoming? Um, it's the it's the the theme of the of the campaign, uh, the Trump endorsement versus the Trump impeachment vote. Um, I just think if you're Cheney or Hagman, you're really going to be paying close attention to what happens here in South Carolina because some things are not completely and totally antiseptic. Now I want to I want to be Rev asked me a second ago, what did you learn? I mean, he said you didn't watch a lot of Braves. I didn't, um, but they won four games consecutively for the first time. I think they swept the four-game series for the first time in two years, two and a half years, a while. or somewhere thereabout. Yeah. Um, I know you watched a car race this weekend. I did. I watched a good car race I'm on sure. a flat track in St. Louis that was, um, yeah, it was uh, interesting. And I saw something that you hardly ever see in sports and entertainment uh, in, in modern times. I saw a guy take responsibility. Uh, Ross Chastain ran into everybody but me at uh, St. Louis. <laughs> he wrecked this driver. He wrecked that driver. Um, wrecked Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott early, and they took exception. And after the race, uh, Chastain got out of his car and said, hey, I blew it. I mean, I, I don't know what happened, but I was driving way above my head today. Um, when a when a driver does that, I mean, he roughed up the 9, he roughed up the, uh, the 11, and, uh, I mean, the 9 – paid him back a little bit the 11 paid him back a little bit but um but he got out of the car and said hey man i don't know what i was thinking i mean i, I just don't i mean i you know i ran over the nine i ran over the the 11 i got to do better than that and um he's a new guy and he'll find out the hard way um this nascar polices itself it's a little bit like baseball um baseball polices itself uh ejections and all these other sorts of things happened 
But, you know, start roughing up and, you know, throwing inside and hitting team or hitting players from another team. Next thing you know, your shortstop's got a broken arm or a broken <laughs> wrist or something uh, like that. I mean, mm-hmm. sports just tends to police, tend to police um, itself. But I didn't spend a lot of time. I did watch the race. I mean, I don't miss racing. And I watched a little bit of the Braves. I watched um, uh, a little bit Saturday night, and then I watched a little bit yesterday afternoon uh, when I got back from the beach. So um, good weekend for the Braves. Um, not such a good weekend for Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott. The games uh, are so darn late because uh, they're playing. They were in Colorado. Yeah, but not yesterday. I mean, yesterday, yesterday the yeah, afternoon. But, yeah, but Friday and Saturday. Yeah, I, I mean, can't. I you know I watch. Um, I don't know. I watch until about ten thirty or eleven, and I'm out of here. Whether it's um uh, weekends or not. I mean, you know, eleven's late for me on a weekend. Now I just got this biological clock that has conditioned itself. Um, even on Saturday mornings, on Sunday mornings, I'm up at six. Uh, that's sleeping in for you and I, not 4.30, but 6, an extra mm-hmm. extra hour and a half. But, um, yeah, I, I, I did a lot of research. I did a lot of um, texting back and forth with um, insiders, quote, unquote. And um, the to me, the interesting part of the weekend is the remarks that Congressman Rice made yesterday uh, being interviewed by Jonathan Carl about the January 6th commission um, and his vote for impeachment. He basically said, I don't have any regrets. I think it was the right thing to do. Um, I would do it again. But he went a little further than that. And he said, um, someone asked about Kevin McCarthy. Jonathan Carl asked about Kevin McCarthy. And he said, I'll hold off on that. And then something came up about Liz Cheney. And he said, um, I think she'd make an excellent speaker. And to me, that's just, I mean, there's there's only two possibilities here, guys. He either knows he has a 0% chance of winning or a 0% chance of losing. I mean, there is no in-between here. I mean, when you go that far down that road, I mean, you've resided the fact that, hey, I'm bulletproof and nobody can beat me and I can say anything and get away with it or it doesn't matter what I say, doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter what I try to make up here in the last days, I'm done. And it just sounded like a candidate. You know what I believe? I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't think he can win a Republican primary unless he finds a way to entice a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of Democrats uh, they'll call them crossovers. You and I know them as Democrats because um, <laughs> you don't like to say, well, I won this Republican primary with a bunch of Democrat votes. I won it with a bunch of crossover votes. I mean, we'll see how that plays itself out. Um, the January 6th proceedings will be on primetime television Thursday night, if I'm not mistaken. Imagine this, guys. You've got a um, a commission uh, that has been authorized to, well, they've kind of self-authorized, uh, you know, uh, to get to the bottom of what happened January 6th, um, they're going to broadcast some of the hearings in prime time. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what, well, I mean, I don't know what stations they're going to be on, but I mean, this is to try and, you know, uh, make it more difficult for Russell Fry or whomever, Ken Richardson, Barbara Arthur. I think she'll be with us tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Barbara Arthur will be with us tomorrow. What hour? 7 o'clock 7 hour. Yeah, so for you uh, Barbara Arthur fans or for someone who wants to hear more from a candidate seeking that nomination, tune in at 7.05 tomorrow, and we'll have Barbara Arthur, who Trafalgar had her at about, um, actually in third place at 9.8%. Uh, so we'll play that in just a bit uh, when you hear Jonathan Carl's interview with Tom Rice. But I went down, um, I'd, I'd really try to look at the macro. And there are two things that are kind of sticking out to me here, and we can um, hopefully create somewhat of a conversation about this. Um, There are two things I find a little bit interesting. Uh, Let's ramble a bit. You ready? 
Priorities USA Political Action Committee is the biggest contributor to senatorial candidates in the Democrat uh, Party right now. I mean, it's run by, I can't think of the guy's name. He's an Obama acolyte. He worked a little bit for Clinton, but he cut his teeth in the Obama machine. Um, and he runs this super PAC called Priorities USA. Um, I think they've got about 160 or $70 million cash on hand. It's similar to Save America. It's probably the most uh, uh, prominent political action committee. And then you've got Chuck Schumer in charge of the Senate majority, senatorial majority political action committee. Here's what I found interesting. Priorities USA Political Action Committee has spent about $50 million, allocated. They've not spent it yet, but they've allocated $50 million. Um, Schumer and the Senate Majority Political Action Committee have allocated about $106 million, none of it in Ohio. None of it in Ohio. Tim Ryan is furious. Um, and it reminds me of something that I was told in politics. Um, do you... Do you not compete because you didn't invest or you did not invest because you can't compete? And I think, um, I mean, Ohio's not South Carolina. Ohio's not Wyoming. But, but Ohio seems to be trending red and the, the Priorities USA Super PAC and the Senate Majority Super PAC have taken a pass on where to, where to allocate resources. I got to believe the money that they were going to spend in Ohio will probably be spent in Pennsylvania. I'm sure it'll be spent in Arizona, uh, probably Nevada. But it's just interesting to me. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying J.D. Vance is in like Flynn because anything can happen between now and then. But when you see J.P. Morgan's projections that gas could be $6.20 national average by August, I think the Democrats are really looking strategically, as they have to. I mean, there's a lot of money in politics, but it's still a finite amount of money but it looks to me like the Democrats are saying, hey, we understand the headwinds. We understand the trending of Ohio. And, it, you know, with the $50 million, $106 million that has been allocated. Um, and that, that means basically, hey, guys, the money's here and we'll spend it when the time is right. I didn't look to see where the money's being spent, but none of it's being spent in Ohio. Um, I'm guessing that it's going to be spent in Arizona. It's going to be spent in Nevada. It's going to be spent in uh, Pennsylvania. With the, uh, the Fetterman, um, you know, there's a rumor now that Fetterman's health is much worse than we expected it to be or uh, imagined it to be. In fact, he's the, the one that had a, the stroke yeah, on he's, primary He's the day, guy right? next door. You know, he's the guy next door, the very unorthodox candidate. A uh, big guy, burly guy, wears a hoodie, um, tatted up a little bit. Just not your, you know, I, I told Rev before the, we went on the air, there was a day in American politics not long ago where unconventionality or, or, or unorthodox candidates you just didn't accept that. I mean, you just did. I mean, there were certain districts in, um, in kind of weird, hippie-ish sorts of places that you could get away with it. But uh, now voters almost demand it. I mean, they, they want something different. They want something unusual. The biggest complaint I've heard with Russell Fry being endorsed by Donald Trump is a little bit buttoned up. You know, we'd rather have somebody out there. You know, we want somebody aggressive. And um, I don't say you want Trump, but you want somebody a little more... Um, abnormal is a bad word here that's unorthodox i mean you want somebody very unorthodox in the way they are pursuing that office that's just where the voters are today and um i just think the democrats have a dilemma on their hand um they're selling an agenda to an audience they wish existed but do not 
Um, it looks to me like, Ref, from reading a lot during the weekend on polling and uh, focus groups and some of these others. And, guys, I'm talking about uh, – I, I did a deep dive in the Cook Political Report, uh, Gallup, Pew, some of these other – I didn't read um, Breitbart, Red State, Salon, Huffington Post. I mean, I know what they're going to say. I went to some of the analytics to try and get my head around where I think we are um, heading into the midterms. And I think the reason now's the time, the appropriate time – is this race in South Carolina. The two races in South Carolina are going to be critically important to where uh, the trends um, head. In other words, you've got uh, Katie Arrington in Charleston, a Trump-endorsed candidate, running against Nancy Mace. Now, what advantage does Mace have over Trump? To me, I mean, excuse me, over Rice. To me, it's obvious. She didn't vote to impeach. I mean, she voted, I think, for the establishment of the January 6th commission. And she said some things and that she were anti-Trump. And she said some things, um, yeah, that... that you know, I think she said some things that, um, well, I mean, if you're not singing Trump's praises, he perceives to be anti-Trump. Uh, I, I don't know that Nancy Mace is anti-Trump. Um, I think Rice is anti-Trump. I don't think Rice is anti-America first, or I didn't think it until all of a sudden he says, you know, that maybe Liz Cheney needs to be Speaker of the House. That kind of, I mean, that, that called me off guard. I think Tom has done a, a, you know, as good a job as you can at doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on the impeachment vote. But I think when you say something like he says, and I'm going to try to get you to tee it up and let's play it uh, after this break. But when you say that you think Liz Cheney could be a good speaker of the House, there, there's only two conclusions to draw. That guy believes he has zero chance of losing or that guy believes he has zero percent chance of winning. Uh, we shall see how that plays out as we work through this five-day week, oh. back-to-back four-day work weeks. Uh, and maybe that's why we were spry and invigorated um, last week. Uh, but we'll grind out another five days this week. Already got my kind of on that July 4th holiday. I, I don't know why say, we... you might you want to announce any vacation well, plans? I mean, well, I mean, we start in June, and you start going, okay, July 4th right around the yeah. corner here. Um, yeah, yeah we, what, three, we, we, four weeks? We take that week off. We do. So, no new shows the week of July So 5th. a very advanced warning, programming note here. We'll be off the week of July 4th, as we always are and have been, since we started this feeble might, attempt. Might as well announce it since you're already, you know, got, kinda, your, got your eye yeah, on it. But I mean, we got a lot to do between now and then. I mean, we've got yep. a lot to take care of between now and then. Uh, when is Ken Richardson? Can, can you guys tell me when Richardson's um, coming yeah, so, out? I'm so, you know, Barbara Arthur's tomorrow at 7. Okay. Ken Richardson is Wednesday at 8. Okay. And Congressman Rice is next Monday and, at And Fry will be eight. here. He's just not confirmed a time as of right now. So, okay, is when is he confirmed? Okay, Thursday. Okay. Uh, let's do this again now. So tomorrow at seven, Barbara Arthur. That's right. Wednesday at eight, Ken Richardson. Thursday, at what time, Mike? Eight. Eight o'clock. Eight. Um, we have uh, Russell Fry, and then Monday at what time? Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. We have Congressman Tom Rice. Maybe we can post those, Mike, on our Facebook page. Um, I, I got a big complaint with Facebook. I mean, I tried an experiment. <laughs> I tried an experiment. Um, Sunday morning, yesterday morning, and um, the things that you, you're the one that's made me paranoid about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we went from in the early days of Facebook, we'd get three or 400 likes and, you know, 100 comments, and now we're getting 60 or 70 likes. We'll do good to get 100. D- depending on what you well, post. I mean, yeah, you wish somebody happy birthday. It's, it's nothing to see here. But if you, I, I think they're words. I think the word Trump, the word government, the word conservative, uh, whatever the word is, 
Uh, you know, I believe that. Yeah, no, no way to prove it, but I believe it. Well, I mean, I'm sitting beside my wife. Let's do this real quick. I'm sitting beside my wife, my wife, and I post something on Facebook, and I said, tell me when this comes up on your reel. It never did. Never did. Uh, my daughter is the same thing. I said, hey, tell me when this comes up on your Facebook page. Never did. Never came up on my wife nor my daughters. So I text Rev, and I said, I think you're right. I think this, um, uh, we call it shadow banning. They call it content moderating. But I think the content moderators, so you went and, and you said, okay, let me look. Mm-hmm. And you had to go explore and explore and explore I had and to explore. scroll down, 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 and finally it, it brought it up. Yeah, but because it had the word Trump or conservative or voting or COVID or something. I mean, I think they've got about 70 or 80, might have a thousand catch words. I don't know. I mean, I have no idea how these algorithms and content moderators work, but I can assure you of this. Um, I, I, you know, when I sent, when I pressed my send, um, I told my wife, I said, tell me when this comes up on your reel. It never did. I mean, she had to go, you know, friend record, not what friend record. What about that? She had to go to your page. For, yeah. She had to search for my page to find out that I'd actually posted something. Same thing with my daughter. Something's messed up. Something's messed up when that's the case. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. We're in store for a five-day work week. Imagine that, consecutive four-day uh. work weeks. It's time to get back to the grind. And um, and I said we would eventually get to a week or a two-week period of time where the congressional race was a national story. It's indeed a, a national story. Um, yep, Congressman directly Rice getting interviewed on ABC's This Week yesterday. Right? By Jonathan Carl, uh, who wrote the book Betrayal. Uh, what is the betrayal, the final chapter of the Trump presidency or something, something to that effect. Um, he was on Stephanopoulos. I think there was an excerpt. Um, the Stephanopoulos show yesterday included the Jonathan Carl interview. If I'm not mistaken, I didn't watch it. I mean, I, I really and truly, I, you know, I don't watch much of that anymore because there's no value in it. I mean, they've, they've got, you know, Chris Christie up there now, but apparently they've Chris twisted Christie's arm or kept him away from the buffet table saying no food for you <laughs> if you say complimentary things about Trump or the Trump movement or, or the America First movement. Um, and now, you know, Christie needs a job or needs something to do to remain relevant, so he does whatever it is ABC News says um, do. And, you know, Christie just, I don't know, Rev, maybe he believes. Maybe I'm right or wrong and he's right. Maybe there is a... Um, uh, a changing of the guard that will eventually happen back in favor of the establishment. You know, the Chris Christie's of the world, the uh, the Mitch McConnell's of the world, those who have um, identified themselves, and we've kind of sort of identified them as Republican leaders. Um, I just don't see that happening, uh, especially not in the um, in the not too distant future. But but Congressman Rice made a comment uh, that surprised me. I mean, I, I didn't think he would do a mea culpa. I mean, there's no way in a million years you could do that now. I mean, you've made the vote. You've made that bid. you got to lay in it. Um, there were those, because um, I spoke to some of these. When, when Rice voted to impeach in mm, January um, of last year, there were those that told me, I said, terrible, tragic mistake. And there were those who said, ah, time will heal some of this. And I said, nope, no, it will not. Time will not heal any of this. And I would argue that the Trump energy may be waning a bit. I mean, no no one man can sustain a political movement single-handedly. That's just not going to happen. But the America first energy is almost more intense today than it was when Trump 
um, because J.D. Vance wins and Dr. Oz wins and Blake Masters seems to be performing fairly well. Um, the West Virginia House race, Harriet Hagman in Wyoming. Um, this is not all about Trump. I mean, Trump will take all the credit and he'll get the blame, you know, when Kemp wins Georgia. Um, but this is much deeper and this is a bigger phenomenon than simply um, Donald Trump. So when those folks said that, you know, you can make that vote and time pass and out of sight, out of mind, uh, you know, the intensity uh, dwindles. And I know I did no way in the world I thought that was going to happen. And I knew that um, that Trump would probably be somewhat vindictive and, and remind us toward the finish line of exactly what happened. And there is a visit to Florence to the airport, big crowd, the endorsement of Arrington and Russell Fry in these two races. Now, now, I do believe this. I think the Trump endorsement is far more influential in the seventh congressional district than it is the first. You've got a contested race, a very closely contested race in the first congressional district. But Nancy Mace, the non-Trump-endorsed non -Trump candidate, is in the lead. I mean, I think it's within the margin of error in a couple of polls I've seen outside the margin in one. Um, but an incumbent not over 50% is in a proverbial dogfight. But I mean, there's just no way around that. But it surprised me yesterday when I, real clear politics, I get a little, um, I don't know, a, a notice, you know, an email notice or a tweet notice when something um, breaking happens on real clear politics. So I get a uh, kind of kind of a breaking email, real clear politics. Tom Ross says that he would support Liz Cheney as, and I'm thinking about, no, uh, Jonathan Carl twisted that around. ABC <laughs> News twisted that around. He didn't say that because, once again, that's a guy who knows he has 0% chance of losing and can say anything or 0% chance of winning and can say anything. I'll give an example. Um, there's nothing. Henry McMaster can't talk himself out of the governorship of South Carolina. I mean, he's going to be the governor. I mean, too many too many wins, too many uh, tailwinds, too many things aiding and assisting the, the McMaster. And I mean, he's earned some of that. I mean, I've, I've, I've been critical of Henry in some ways, but I think Henry's earned um, that that standing, that that prominent position in the field of candidates. Um, but this is different. This is a guy that 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 can't make another mistake. I mean, you just can't make another mistake. You know the polling. I don't care if you believe it or not. And I'm tired of people saying all the polls are fake. I mean, the polls are skewed. The polls are juiced. I mean, I said yesterday, excuse me, last week, and I'll stick by this. I think Russell's numbers are a bit juiced in some of these polls. I don't think they're much juiced, but I think they're a bit juiced. I've told Russell that. I mean, I, I, I said, man, I've got you at 36-7. I think 42 is a little um, too inclusive of some of the um, – I'll, I'll give you my take on this. This will be a good day to start it out. You ready? Mm -hmm. I think Rice's internals are juiced because they include too many Democrats. Crossovers is what they'll argue. Um, I think there's a poll out there that has Rice in the mid-30s. I think that is very ambitious in the number of crossovers or Democrats that they're trying to get to vote in the Republican primary. Ain't going to happen, I don't think. So, so I've got Rice at about 25. I think the poll, his internal polls, and they've released or leaked one of these polls, I think it's an overrepresentation of about 10% of where he really is and where the poll says he is. The, some of the, some of the uh, Fry internal polls, um, Crescent Communications um, has him in the mid-40s. I think that's 10 points high. I think you, you, you sample too many Trump voters. To, uh, you know, um, the Trump approval rating in the district is 83%. But 66% of Americans nationwide identify 
as America First. You got to figure out a way to really get the right sample to get a true reading. So I think this morning, as we sit one week away from the election, uh, Wake Up Carolina's unofficial poll has rise at about 25, fried about 35, 36, uh, maybe 37. I mean, I can see Russell with a 12 point lead over the congressman. And then I think you've got Barbara Arthur somewhere in the neighborhood of 10. You've probably got Ken Richardson somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to nine. And then you've got Garrett Barton, um, Spencer Mars, and Mark McBride. Um, I hate to say this, but bringing up the rear, probably all less than four percentage points. Um, Barton may get to four, may get to five, probably won't get much higher than that. Um, Arthur, I just think that's kind of her ceiling. I mean, I think she's really done, and I've said it, and I'll say it again. I'll tell her tomorrow when she's here. I think she's done as much as any candidate to start with nothing and get to where you are. I think hard work pays off. I think political campaigning is no different, and I think she has devoted a lot of energy and effort to her campaign, and I think she's performed admirably in this. But she didn't get the Trump endorsement. Um, she didn't have the, the money necessary to get on television and express yourself in a broadcasting sort of way. And that's just, I mean, it's hard to win these things without being on the big tube and radio. I mean, radio is a more intense audience, but, but Rev will tell you, it's far more centralized. I mean, we're not, you know, the, the people listening to the show are, are, are political junkies or, or they're people who want to be a little more informed uh, than the masses. Um, when you're interrupting Seinfeld or American Idol with a 30-second commercial, you know, Rice saying what a scumbag uh, Fry is and Fry saying the same thing about, about Rice. I mean, that, you know, that, that's how you win elections because that's mass communication. It's, um, it's broadcasting. So, so, but, but that's where I've got this race. I've got it at about um, Fry 36-ish, Rice 25-ish, um, nobody else at 10, maybe Arthur touches 10, maybe, I mean, if she has a good day, maybe 12, but I think that's about it. Now, now the big part of this race will be the consolidating, you know, the splintered feel feelings get hurt. Um, you saw it on the debate stage. Um, you know, I like this person better than that person. I'm not endorsing anybody. I'm not, and it's not the endorsement It's who do your supporters support? Who are your supporters encouraged to go vote for in the runoff? Because there's going to be a runoff. I mean, nobody's going to get to 50% plus one vote. So we're going to have a runoff. But here's something Rice said yesterday that just sounds to me like, I mean, you can interpret it the way you choose to, but it's either a man who's all, I mean, he's walking on air or he's a dead man walking. I mean, it's one or the other. See, and, and, and I've said the entire wow. time we've covered this race that I've never thought Tom was anti, or excuse me, anti first or America first. I mean, I've just, you know, I think he had a big problem with Trump and that day and, and some of the shenanigans and bombast that went along with that. But I've never sensed, I mean, Liz Cheney is an anti-America firster. I mean, she's a globalist. Her father runs Halliburton and is a big, you know, I mean, the, the Cheneys have become enormously wealthy off military and defense contracts. So, so Cheney has a reason to be um, interventionist. Cheney has a reason to be globalist. It's how her family has amassed enormous wealth. Um, and America first is, um, a little more non-interventionist, a little more, I mean, the, the Republicans or some of the real traditional Republicans would argue isolationism. I don't buy that for a second, but it does seem to me that that comment reeks of anti-America first. Um, Tom will be here Monday and I'll ask about that comment. Um, but, but the, the only, the only thing implied in all of his remarks or comments either is either there's no way I lose this race 
or there's no way I win this race. And the polling and, and you know, some other experts have kind of insinuated that, um, you know, someone other than Tom Rice is going to represent the 7th Congressional District. And, um, and I think you said it well last week, Rev, when you said, you know, I don't like having to do this. I mean, it's not that I'm taking great joy in, right. uh, in kicking an incumbent out of office who I think generally is on the ways and means. He's been, been a good congressman. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we believe he has. And, um, but, but the one vote, as, uh, as I said a couple of years ago, or nearly, uh, well, a year and a half ago, January of 2021, um, I just thought it was a bridge too far then. And, and those who said, well, time will heal all these wounds, I never bought that. I mean, I just never in a million years, there are certain things. And I, and I had a great mentor who told me one day, they may not remember what you say, but they'll remember how you vote. And I think when you cast that ballot in support of impeachment of a Republican president who so many insiders in Washington had been so passionately committed to his demise, you're crossing too many people that you count on to keep your job. I mean, that's the way I looked at it. And, and that would be an interesting question, Reb. Um, to someone in Washington, Congressman Ross spends a good bit of time in Washington as a member of the U.S. Congress. Why are so many people that passionately committed to his demise? I mean, Navarro, I mean, you see this, I mean, he gets handcuffed. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, leg shackles and, and hand, why? I mean, he's associated with Trump. Manafort. I mean, they kick his door down in the middle of the night, draw guns, and... Wasn't Eric Holder at one point held in contempt of Congress as well? Sure he was. Well, was he sure put he in shackles? No, of course he was not. Because he, he was not a Trumpster. I mean, hmm. there are one set hmm. of rules for everybody in politics. There are another set of rules for those who associate, however loosely or closely, with Donald Trump. Um, Navarro's always been a son of a gun. I mean, he absolutely has been a son of a gun. But, but to put the guy in leg shackles and handcuffs... And to kick the door down of Paul Manafort? I mean, you know what that's about. And, and I'd love to know. I'd love for somebody to explain to me why those inside forces that, that have enormous power and sway in our American government, why they felt the need to be that committed to one president's demise. I mean, that, that's always been the interesting part of the analytics of the Trump presidency. I get you don't like him. I understand that. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't like him. I mean, you know, half the country doesn't like the guy. But, but to believe that, that certain associations within our embedded government felt comfortable being that passionately committed to the, to the demise of a duly elected president is, is a bit, I mean, it's scary. I was going to say bizarre, but it's scary because if they're willing to do that to Navarro or Manafort or somebody else um, associated, and then you got Sussman who basically says, I mean, we know Sussman lied. We know he lied to an FBI agent because he said he wasn't working for anybody. He goes visit the FBI and sends a bill to the Clinton campaign the day he goes and visits the FBI. He walks. Navarro walks. <laughs> there are just chains around his ankle. Right. And his hands are behind his back. Wow. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843 is our number. I want to wait until the next hour to really go into some of this Cook political reporting. Um, the, uh, the sentiment, the mood of the nation is sour. Uh, the Democrats are going to pay a big price as a result of that. But the the belief that this is going to be some, you know, I think 64 seats in 2010, 54 in 1994, we're not going to get that number. I mean, we're, we're just simply not. The math doesn't work. Remember, I've said, uh, I guess in a lecturing sort of way, that at the end of the day, politics is about math. 
I mean, there are percentages here and percentages there. There are mathematical realities here and mathematical realities there. Um, the Democrats in the past hundred, excuse me, the Republicans in the past hundred years have never had more than 247 seats. Uh, there's about 219, excuse me, yeah, 219 now. So it's just, you're not going to see a 60-seat uh, pickup. They picked up some, I think, what, 24 in 2020. Uh, you're just not going to see that. I mean, you're going to see a um, a pretty dramatic increase. In, I mean, the Republicans will be in the majority, overwhelmingly in the majority. But but I've had people tell me, well, I mean, you know, the, the sentiment of the nation and fuel prices and all these other sorts of things, where the economy will be by November. I mean, I've predicted it'll be a lot worse in November than it is today. Um, some of you, I think, take joy in agreeing with that opinion. Rev's not one because he kind of has this perplexed look on his face when I go down that road of what is to come. Um, yeah, it's, it's well, not I mean, good. Well, I mean, we talked last week about quantitative uh, restricting and um, quantitative tightening. I'm sorry. QT is what they call it. And I ain't talking Q-tips. We're talking about <laughs> quantitative tightening and negative interest rates and all these other um, kind of macros within the uh, micros within the macro on economic theories. And I think when you look at all of those bellwethers, you look at all of those leading indicators, there's no way to believe anything other than the country's economy is going to be in decline. How dramatic? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think we gave a pretty good analogy last week, Reb, when the housing fiasco happened in 2008. I mean, it actually festered to a point where it exploded in 2008. It happened probably 20 years leading up to 2008, but uh, but once again, the bubble, bur- the bubble burst in 2008. But we had a weird analogy, but we had an addict. Now we got somebody addicted, mentally ill, and depressed. And I know depression is a strain of a mental illness, but we've got so, I mean, I think the economy has so many underlying um, fundamental issues with it. And in 2008, if we could fix the housing problem, we could kind of get the economy back heading in a more positive position or more positive way, I just think it's far more um, likely that we have a deep, deep, elongated recession because we don't have a uh, a single issue that I believe is going to lead to a dramatic decline in economic activity. Um, in other words, the economy just didn't, it doesn't have a cold. It's got a cold, a broken leg. Uh, it may have mono. It may, you see where I'm headed. I mean, I just think there are so many complexities that have kicked into this fundamental problem that I think we're all going to deal with. Let's go to the phone. Here's Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning. Uh, you're on, off to a great start, as always. Uh, I think uh, I don't think uh, Mr. Rice understands. He he was a good uh, legislator and a good uh, representative, but Benedict Arnold was a great general right up to the time he started selling plans to American fortresses and their dispositions. And then he became a traitor. I don't, I don't think he understands integrity. He fully integri- he, he fully understands that. And uh, he, uh, he was elected to represent the district, and he is not representing the district, uh, not at all if he's endorsing uh, Liz Cheney. And the, uh, but the other thing about uh, you talking about the economy there, uh, we we got uh, Joe Biden at the, he he's driving the train, and uh, he he that crazy sociopathic psycho is looking at uh, 
cognitive decline and incompetence in the rear view mirror. This is a psycho driving the train. It, it's left the tracks and it's headed down a dirt road that ends at a cliff. And I don't know how we get out of that, how we get to recover from that train wreck. I think we can, but it's going to generate a lot of pain, and not just here, but worldwide. That's my view. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. You know, I thought about this last weekend, uh, excuse me, this past weekend, and we talked a little bit about it last week. Uh, and I and, I mean, I put something on Facebook yesterday about it, um, despite nobody getting my Facebook post anymore. <laughs> um, it, is said, it, it basically said, I mean, I try to be a little bit whimsical and humorous in the way I argued it, but as much as I want to be mad with the Democrats, I, I get far more frustrated with the Republicans who turned and um and and voted for the Democrat. I think of the Lincoln Project and some of these other um you know the Joe Scarboroughs of the world, the Michael Steels of the world. We need adulthood in the White House. We need a responsible figure. We need decorum and reverence. But do we need you know a food shortage and a baby formula shortage and uh, a reputation lessened on the global scale? Do we need six dollar gasoline, which what J.P. Morgan says we're headed? I mean, we've got an incompetent dunce. As an American president, maybe he doesn't mean tweet, but he's an incompetent dunce. Back in a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. While you guys were out on the uh, on the beach, riding a boat, uh, playing golf, enjoying yourself, doing whatever it is you do on the weekends, I was hard at work trying to better understand what lies ahead in the world of American politics. That's the uh, well, the, the luxury of life that you enjoy when you have such a diligent soul as. Yours truly providing these intellectual analysis that you don't get anywhere else. <laughs> and Well, I, I look at it this way. I, I don't well, have got, to do that. R- really? I mean, I mean, you were you were just building that up just for. But I mean, the chuckle was the chuckle necessary. <laughs> yeah, well, it was okay. natural. OK, but but see, on the weekend, I feel like I don't have to pay attention to that stuff because I know you are. Well, that's you, what I'm saying. You'll, you'll get through the things that we don't need. You know, you, you'll kind of push offer somebody a free ride and they'll normally take you up on it i mean that's kind of what i'm I'm saying thank you free hole appreciate that thank you for that round of applause applause. here's what i have found out you ready find out here's what i found out okay in all seriousness and this is um this is uh scientific and analytics based you ready the the republicans are going to take over the senate and the house the senate too the senate and the house is going to be in republicans hands um, probably 51, maybe 52 senators. The House is where it gets a little bit fuzzy and and gray. We can't really figure this out. So I try to do, um, I actually put together a little chart here. Um, the most Republicans that have ever been in the House, well, I say the most ever, 100 years. In 100 years of American government, the most we've ever had in the House of Representatives that call themselves Republicans there's 247. There's 213 today. So that's, uh, what, 34 different. Uh, if the Republicans um, tied the most they've ever had, they would be at 230, or excuse me, they'd win 34 seats um, this election. Here's the problem, and here's why we're not going to have a 50 or 60 seat swing like we had in 94, like we had in, 10, in uh, 20. But 54 in 20, excuse me, we had 54 in 1994. We had 64 in 2010. But but think of it like this, Rev. In 2010, the Republicans only had 178 seats. 
1994, they had 174 seats. Today, they have 213 seats. We know the gerrymandering has made districts less competitive. So when someone says, this is going to be like 1994, this is going to be like 2010, it's not going to be. It's impossible for that to happen. Um, The Republicans may break the record. I mean, they may have, there's a 100-year record of 247 Republicans in the House. We may end up with 248-49. They may end up picking up 35 or six seats. This depends on um, on the price of gas and inflation and the economy. Um, the Democrats are running a campaign on gun control and abortion. That that will motivate some of the... Um, some of the vigilant souls within uh, within their party. I mean, it really will. Gun control and abortion. But, but isn't some of the strategy also, doesn't it appear to be um, when the president gets up there and says things like, the you know, our economy is great, it's growing, people are able to save more money. I mean, you heard him say that last week, right? Yeah, but I don't know that anybody pays that any attention. I mean, see, see, and I think, I, I mean, think we're, we're just we're, saying lies. Does that appear to be the strategy? Because who believes that? Well, I mean, anybody who pumps gas into a car knows better than that. But here's the problem. And, and the media, this is where you want to know what the everlasting impact of Donald Trump is to expose the media for exactly who they are. I mean, 100 years from now, when people begin to, to I mean, you know, to give an historical account of Trump's presidency, I mean, they'll do it before then. But I'm saying 100 years from now, um, the the legacy of Donald Trump will be the political disruptor, but he exposed some of the inside forces. I'm talking about the media. I'm talking about academia. I'm talking about the CIA, the FBI. Um, Americans now believe things about their government that they never imagined they would believe. Seriously. I mean, when you look at some of the polling, I'll give you an example here. Um, The Gallup Economic Confidence Index is the lowest it's ever been. I mean, the Gallup, Gallup has done this. Pew does things similar to this. We, we've, we've discussed over the air that Gallup and Pew do a lot more than just who are you voting for and why. I mean, Gallup and Pew do a lot of these, um, you know, testing the societal winds, trying to understand where culture is headed. But the Gallup Economic Confidence Index is minus 45. It has never been that low. They started keeping this in 1966. Out of that, when you when you ask um, the, the respondents, what do you think is the most important problem facing the country today? For the first time in American history, the number one mention is the government slash poor leadership. So people, it doesn't matter what the Washington Post writes anymore. It doesn't matter what George Carl or Jonathan Carl, I'm sorry, George Stephanopoulos or Chuck Todd. There was a day that they couldn't masquerade themselves as fair reporters and fair arbiters of what is going on in Washington. But when Trump comes along, they basically decided to sell their soul to the devil. Uh, the New York Times did what? I mean, they basically said it's our editorial objective to make him, uh, to stop him from getting elected. I mean, the, the New York Times went on the record and said, this guy's too dangerous. We can't let him um, get elected. Um, they also covered his campaign in the lifestyle section for a good bit of time. So, um, so the legacy of Trump will be an exposing. So when you look at the, um, the government poor leadership, that's a, that's a Trump reflective number, 19% of respondents. Um, and that's the number one. I mean, think of this, Rev, the high cost of, um, of fuel and inflation, excuse me, the high cost of living and inflation. That's second, um, the economy in general, that's third, nothing else is in double figures. So the economy's at 12%. The high cost of living and uh, inflation is at 18%, but the government's poor leadership 
is at 19%. So when, when, the, when Americans look at the Gallup's Economic Confidence Index, you know what they believe? The majority of our problems are government-induced. We got morons running the state, the nation's capital. Um, we're not talking about state government. Talk, talking about local government. That's a, that's an overwhelming. That, that's a, that's just a change. I mean, you know, no longer can Chuck Todd masquerade himself as a fair arbiter. Nobody believes that anymore. When George Stephanopoulos, I'll, I'll give you an example. So so Washington decides that the best way to help those who oppose Trump is to have these January six hearings. The January 6th hearings are going to be in prime time Thursday night. I mean, imagine this, guys. I mean, what is what you can't. I mean, there's some things that are so obvious you just can't get away with it. And and it amazes me that there's still some out there that believe the January 6th commission is trying to get to the bottom of it. And that's why you're seeing the Jonathan Carl Tom Ross interview. You'll probably see one with Liz Cheney sooner than later. Um, they're carrying the water for those who oppose Trump. Those who oppose Trump are going to be rewarded by the mainstream media, academia, the CIA, the FBI. I mean, Sussman. Sussman will probably have a statue built for him, <laughs> you know, one, one of these days, because once again, he was willing to put his neck on the line in opposing um, Donald Trump. That's the legacy of Trump. The legacy of Trump will not be corporate income tax cuts. It won't be um, uh, this, this kind of a, a wave that J.D. Vance is a part of, Peter, Peter Thiel is a part of, Josh Hawley is a part of, Rand Paul. I mean, the, all of these are important ingredients. But the legacy of Donald Trump, the eternal legacy of Trump, will be the day that the these organized forces, I mean, it's the swamp. I mean, we know what it is. It's drained the swamp. The, the day the swamp really let you know exactly who they were. Um, CNN is a shadow of its former self. Why? I mean, did something happen at CNN? Did, did, did they have a management change or did they have an ownership change? No, they, they, they made a calculus. There are enough people out there that will believe anything we say about Donald Trump, however conspiratorial it may be, and that's going to be our marketplace until he leaves. And when Trump leaves, what happens to their audience? I mean, they don't have him to hate no anymore. And it's just bizarre to me that, and I know some sane, responsible people who went down this road. Um, somebody told Congressman Rice it's okay to make that vote. I mean, imagine that. Imagine being so out of touch with a voting block. Now, I think Tom Rice is an honorable man. I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think he's a person of dignity and honor. But, but I think you've got an obligation to understand who it is that elects you to go to Washington and do the job that they allow you to do. And uh, whomever told him that he could do that and get away with it should not be should no longer be working on, on the congressman's staff, as far as I'm concerned. But when you look at the Gallup's Economic Confidence Index, minus 45, lowest ever, the biggest contributor to that Economic Confidence Index is not immigration, um, not situation with Russia, not crime and violence, um, not unifying the country, not abortion. Um, not race relations, not immigration, not the economy in general, not the high cost of living or inflation, the government, poor leadership of the government. Let me ask you a question. Let, let's dissect this race a little bit more thoroughly. Um, Rice advertises a lot that he is on the ways and means. A lot of his um, supporters say he's on the ways and means. How many of your lives are better because a congressman sits on the ways and means? It's just, I don't understand that. I don't understand the logic behind um, who you're marketing your campaign toward. Who are you trying to engage? At a, I understand you play the hand you're dealt. We all do. I mean, I was a good old boy when I ran. 
So I couldn't run as one of these, um, you know, uh, elitist, educated, um, uh, uh, what am I trying to, uh, credentialed member of the managerial class. I mean, I'm, I'm not one of those. I couldn't run that way and be successful. But but I think you, what, what, and, and here's what's happening, or here's what I believe is happening. We're on to them a lot more than they believe we're on to them. And by we, I'm talking about the America First universe, this, this weird um, consolidation or conglomeration of people and factions and, and forces. I mean, um, some go to Baptist churches, some go to Jewish synagogues, come, some identify as conservative, some are far more pragmatic. They're, they're from all over the place, but they, one ha- they, they have one thing in common. They believe the government sucks. They believe the government lacks solid leadership. They believe this country's potential is not being untapped because the government has commandeered so much influence and power over our economic activities, our cultural activities, our societal activities, and we want something different, damn it. And we're in the middle of getting something different because, once again, um, what did we hear from the mainstream media about J.D. Vance? You better be careful with J.D. Vance. He can't win. Well, he wins the primary, so what is the next story? You better be careful with J.D. Vance. He's got that Trump endorsement. Uh, Republicans will stay home. Okay, maybe they do, maybe they don't. All I can tell you is this. The biggest super PAC in Democrat uh, politics today, Priorities USA, has already allocated $50 million dollars Chuck Schumer's already authorized $106 million in the Senate Majority Political Action Committee. You know where they're not spending a penny? In Ohio. Ohio. I mean, Tim Ryan's a pretty good candidate in Ohio. I don't know that Ohio, as Democrats go, could do any better than Tim Ryan. But the the Senatorial Re-Election Committee, the Political Action Committee that makes contributions and spends money on behalf of candidate X, Y, or Z, have decided we're not messing with J.D. Vance. So J.D. Vance goes from being a guy that can't win a primary, he wins the primary, and now we're told he can't win the general because the Trump endorsement will weigh him down in one of these purple states. You, you can't, I mean, guys, you, you can't, you, at some point in time, you've got to accept what reality is. And reality is this political party is in detox. The, the Republican political party is in detox. I think it's better for it. I think in the long run, we come out healthier, uh, more organized, more more, more efficient, um, a bigger tent. But but some of these people just believe it's their party. It doesn't belong to the people. It belongs to me. And I'm talking about the Romneys of the world, the Bushes of the world, um, the Cheneys of the world, um, the the just some of these organized forces that have embedded themselves within the bowels of our government. They believe this party belongs to them. And they believe if they walk Navarro out in shackles and chains and they put Manafort in jail um, and they do everything they can do to stop J.D. Vance from being elected, they do everything they can do to stop Dr. Oz from getting elected, they do everything they can do to stop Blake Masters from getting elected, sooner or later you'll get the lesson. They're the ones that need to be learning the lesson. The people are speaking loudly and clearly. The, spe- the people who want Republican leadership to be changed and evolved and, and transitioned to something that reflects a more genuine America first agenda. That's where we're headed. But instead, leadership within the Republican Party refused to accept the will of the people. In fact, they're trying to be obstinate toward the will of the people. And I've never understood that. I mean, I can tell you this, when the will of the people begins to kind of generate that enthusiasm, that energy, 
you better get on board or you're going to get run over. And some are choosing to not get on board, and I'm afraid they're in the process of getting run over. Two come to mind. Tom Rice, Liz Cheney. I'm sorry. That's just the way this game works. Let's go to the phone. Here's Bob in Florence. Good morning, Bob. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. <clears throat> Ken, you know, you're talking about the, the government is now obstinate about their attitude towards the American people, but if, I think that the, the government, or rather, more correctly, the deep state, has now, with, with, the, ad, with the introduction of COVID-19, they're no longer afraid of us. Even if we have a Second Amendment, it doesn't make any difference. If certain people want to control us, it doesn't matter if we have an arsenal of weapons at our houses. If they release another virus that's more dangerous than COVID-19, you can't fight if you're sick or dead. And these people are so arrogant and obstinate, is the word that you use, that uh, they just don't fear us anymore. They don't. They know they can control us, and they can control us at will. But let me ask you, Bob, if they're controlling yeah. us, how did J.D. Vance get elected? How did Donald Trump get elected? How will the next Republican nominee be an America First candidate? See, I, what, I, I think we're at that point. I mean, I, th- I really believe we're at that point of them believing and convincing themselves. And I'm talking about Republicans and Democrats. Status quo, establishment, you know, go along and get along. I mean, there are a lot of ways to describe that. But, but if you believe that, that, that that's what's happening in America today, how do you explain all of this organic energy that seems to be by far the most powerful force in American politics? I would explain it. Um, Trump, I think, was an aberration for them. Uh, they, they thought they had it all under control with Hillary Clinton. They thought they had the votes. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, it's kind of like uh, uh, before the election, uh, with uh, Biden, Biden slipped up and was was talking to a group of uh, constituents, and um, uh, he made the comment, "Don't worry about the votes. We've got the votes." See, every once in a while, old Biden he'll slip up and tell the truth. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I sure do. I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> he'll slip up, and uh, I think Trump was an aberration. Uh, it that one surprised him. And and they made damn sure it would never happen again. But it is going to happen again, Bob. And maybe that's where you and I disagree. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm doubtful. I'm doubtful. Uh, but but I'm hoping at the same time I have hope. Always have hope that 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 good will triumph over evil. And and these people are evil. You you know that. I know that. And a lot of people know that. Uh, maybe now with. The, 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 the number of eyes of scrutiny that are upon them, they uh, will, will not be able to carry out the, uh, uh, the shenanigans and whatnot that they've become accustomed to. But uh, they've also learned that through fear, they can manipulate public opinion. And, uh, you know, anytime you, you're, you're living in a country that's got clandestine uh, bioweapons research programs going on in foreign countries, you need to worry. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate that. A lot of places he touched on there. Um, we got another call. Let's go to the phone before we take our next call. 843-661-0937 is our number. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. 
there, there are debates within debates. And one of the debates we're having now, Bob's a little less optimistic than I am. The people that have tried to defy the Trump presidency never voted for Trump. But they didn't want Trump. They, they, they never wanted Trump. They, they, they wish there were no memories of Trump. Um, the abolishment of the 16 campaign, you know, was 2020 legitimate or not? Anything associated with Donald Trump, they want to wipe from the history books. They don't want to. They want to pretend it never ever happened. And these are the people who had all the levers of government at their veil. That that that's the debate within the, the debate. The, the the what Bob I think what Bob is arguing and it may be it may be right and I'm sure some of you agree with this that because they have so much influence because they have so much power because they have so much persuasive abilities within our government they will define the Trump administration the Trump legacy the Trump era uh, this uh, this revolutionary period in American politics um, maybe just the eternal optimist in me says no uh, I just don't think it works I think the last people that have a right to define what the Trump legacy is are those who despise him, those who hate him. Um, January 6th will be a part of it, no doubt about it. And I said it, and I'll say it again. The darkest day of the Trump administration was January 6th. He peddled fantasy. He's partially responsible for what happened. But how many people have been charged with insurrection? I mean, the, the impeachment document says incitement for impeachment, excuse me, incitement for insurrection. How many people have been charged with insurrection? I can answer because I looked this weekend. Zero. Nary a soul. So, so the people who despise a person don't have a right to define the legacy nor record of that American president. Let's go to the phone. Here's Brian in Florence. Good morning, Brian. You're on the air. Good morning. I truly believe the only way we're going to be able to hold Congress truly accountable is through term limits. And until we have some term limits and get these folks that have been there for their entire career out of office after a period of time, Congress is not accountable to the American people. We can say all you want about votes, but uh, these guys that have been in office for, for nearly 100 years have buy, they're buying elections, truly are buying elections. So I, I believe that, that uh, truly the, the Republicans should if they truly are America first, they ought to push for term limit um, changes in Congress to, to truly be accountable to the American people. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, there are very few subjects in America poll in the 80s. I mean, it even touches 90 at times. Term limits is one. Um, I don't spend a lot of time talking about term limits because I don't like to waste my time. I mean, you're talking about breaking a system. Now, now, once again, you want to be real ambitious? Okay, let's swing for the fence and go for term limits. Um, let's get a first down or two or three before we swing for the fence. Uh, excuse me, that's a bad analogy. I cross-reference sports there. Let's, um, let's get a first down or two or three before we score a touchdown. Or let's get a single or a double before we start swinging, swinging for the fence. I understand it. Conceptually, philosophically, I am 1,000% Most on Most Americans agree. Not eight, 80 in the mid to upper 80s. And at times in American history, it's been 90% of the American public believe we should have term limits. The problem is those who have built the, uh, the sandbox of which everybody else kind of gets to play in, they don't like term limits. I mean, if you're a big donor and you've got someone um, working on your behalf within the government, the last thing you want is that person that you've kind of sort of paid off. You've <laughs> kind of sort of bribed him and you've made a, a serious investment Um the last thing you want is that guy to not be there any longer. Now, now the counter argument, the only the only prevailing argument I've heard um, in opposition to term limits is, but if you don't have term limits, excuse me, if you do have term limits, you've got kind of a revolving door. New new representatives come and go. They come and go. They come and go. 
Who runs the government then? The credentialed managerial class. Um, the bureaucrats. And the bureaucrats are probably worse and less responsible than uh, at least you are holding these people accountable by voting every two, four, or six years. But, I mean, if I had to raise my hand for or against term limits, I'm absolutely for term limits. Um, I just don't see – I'm not optimistic at all about what all has to happen to get to a certain point. You're talking about Article 5 and all these other – I'll ask our listeners this. Would you rather have term limits or a balanced budget amendment? Um, but if we had a convention of the states and, and out of that came one radical change – to our government, would you rather it be a balanced budget amendment or term limits? I would rather it be a balanced budget. Amendment. I think so. I mean, I think I think, a, I think the debt the that we've budget. accumulated as a country yep. is more dangerous to our long-term prosperity than um, term limits. And once again, I support both. I'm for and, a balanced and budget. Voters amendment. could enforce term limits by voting out incumbents. Well, right? sure they could. No, no question about it. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. We all say we're for term limits. But 94% of people who run for re-election get re-elected. That's a little bit different in the Trump era. Uh, there's another disruptive element about Donald Trump. Uh, in the era of Trump, with the Republican Party um, having Trump as a major, major force and factor, I think that number is down about 83 or 4 or 5%. Been about a 10% decline in the people. And it may, you know, we'll see how it works out in the balance of this year. But the two races that I'm paying most attention to, and I predicted the national media would begin covering this rice race, and here we are, a week out, and, you know, he's on ABC News over the weekend. There's a lot of conversation. Uh, I think Scarborough, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Morning Joe on MSNBC, um, after our debate, had him answering that question about the impeachment. So we always knew there would be a heightened level of awareness and attention paid to this race at some at some point in time. Um, and here we are, you know, a week out from the election. And, um, and I've never perceived Tom to be anti-America first. I've said it, I'll say it again. Liz Cheney is anti-America first because Liz Cheney's family's wealth comes from being globalist interventionist. I mean, that's that's the nature of their family business. If we're non-interventionist nationalist, Halliburton doesn't have a lot to do. I mean, it's far less prosperous and beneficial to the Cheneys if we are run by intellectual nationalism um, you know, intellectual contrarianism would be kind of the, the the driving component of this intellectual nationalist movement. But um, I think that's the future of the party. I mean, I really do. Um, and and what what will happen, Rev, is some of these traditional Republicans will argue, so you're an isolationist. No, you're calling me that. I never said I'm an isolationist. I said I'm an America firster. Oh, you're an isolationist. You know, no, you, you're, um, you don't want to trade. You don't want to be involved in global affairs. No, nobody ever said that. The problem with America first, it's an infant, it's a baby, it's learning to walk, and it doesn't know how to define itself. It doesn't know how to contrast what it believes, uh, you know, in, to some degree in opposition to what the party has historically But, but you have believed. to have an answer when the critics say that you're an isolationist. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you've got to be bold, you got to be aggressive, you got to be understanding of, of what it means. Let me ask you this um, to our listeners. What does it mean to you? I'd love to hear the answer to this. What does it mean to you? Two out of every three Republicans identify as America first. What does it mean to you to be an America firster? I mean, I know what it means to me. It's trade, immigration, and China. Now, and I can go into as much detail as you'd like on China, on trade, on immigration. I think it was very interesting when, I'm trying to think who it was, uh, Dr. Barton sat here last week and said that he would support a moral tariff. I mean, that philosophically, tariffs are bad for the economy. I mean, they, they suppress economic activity. 
They, they add a layer of expense to the cost of doing business. But, but I think America first, from a nationalist perspective, has to look at China as the geopolitical adversary that they are. And you deal with them very uniquely and differently. When I went down and met with the Club for Growth, um, after Rice makes the vote, I go down and meet with the Club for Growth. They're, they're in the candidate recruiting business. I had no interest in running, but I want to hear what they've got to say. I mean, I think it makes me a better radio show host to understand what those folks are trying to, to, uh, to work out. So, so I sit down with, with some of these, um, some of these studious sorts from the, from the inside. And, um, and when we begin talking about, you know, trade and immigration and, and all these other sorts of things, and the guy says, so you're for tariffs. And I said, well, with China, I am, I mean, I'm, I'm philosophically opposed to tariffs, but, but historically the Republican party has had kind of a bulletin board and we've got these, you know, did you read the national review yesterday? Um, do you have a bow tie in honor of George Will? Uh, did you read Atlas Shrugged? You, you see what I'm saying? I mean, it was, it was a very conventional way of thinking. And, and, and it, was, it was very sincere. It was very, uh, it would have been a very workable government agenda or political agenda. But nobody enacted it because all those organized forces in Washington got in the way. Um, how many people lobby the government on behalf of a corporate interest in the name of conservatism? I mean, how many contributions are made because somebody reads the National Review, um, falls in love with conservatism or conservatism, and, and all of a sudden wants, you know, hey, I'm going to make a $100,000 donation to government because I want it to kind of stay in bounds. I want it to be small and limited. No. I mean, we've turned into a um, kind of a political animal that, that accepts contributions in expectation of something in return. And, and we've got to stop that. This nationalist movement has to be sincere and dedicated to the American working class. Um, you know, talking about, I was reading something over the weekend about corporate America. Um, this is a bit bizarre for a Republican to say, but corporate America's interest doesn't, doesn't bother me much at all right now. They'll figure it out. I mean, give, the, give them capital markets. Give them a, a, a you know a level playing field. Don't rig the game. Don't pull up the ladder, as we like to say here. Don't create programs and plans and exemptions or or any sort of proclivity that that allows advantage to one business over another. Um, you know, a lot of Republicans now, Rev, and I'm talking about the George Will William Buckley Republican. They're a little bit enamored with Trumpism or, or America First because they believe the Republican Party's been guilty of basically offering to the highest bidder, you know, uh, capitalism and the free markets. Uh, so they're not bothered at all. Philosophically and fundamentally, that they're, they're very much on board with conservatism and limited government and lower taxes. But if you go a little bit further down that road, you know where you end up? Well, that's not what we're doing now. I mean, the Democrats have their favorites who they take care of, teachers unions, um, uh, public service employee unions, uh, trial lawyers. You flip over to the Republicans, big business um, so some of the anti-regulation sectors of the economy, uh, they all have their favorites and it's all because of the money. And the one thing that I hope doesn't happen, it could, it may, may not, uh, is the, 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 the political corruption that goes along with fundraising. Um, what does JD Vance owe Peter Thiel? What does Peter Thiel expect from Blake Masters? Um, what, what does Ron DeSantis when he runs for president, uh, what does he owe to the, cause it takes money. I mean, it takes money to win these campaigns. Um, what do you owe when you accept a contribution? Um, what is that contribution in exchange for? Um, 
how many people are going to vote for Liz Cheney because they really believe she's best for Wyoming or they've got her back because she's had theirs. Same thing here with Congressman Rice. With all due respect, how many people are supporting Congressman Rice today because they genuinely believe he's going to Washington to represent the people of the 7th Congressional District or there's something up there they've got going on and they need him tending to? I mean, we all know, nobody's oblivious to that. I mean, you folks listening to my voice today, you, you're well aware of that. I can say this, if you were as aware as I am and you knew as much as you should know, you'd be a lot angrier today than you really are. Take a break. Right. Back in a minute. When you build a machine and the machine works as it should, you're not going to get rid of that machine very easily. You're just not. I mean, this is not going to be a faint. Uh, this is not going to be for the faint of heart. This is not going to be a, um, a light lift. This is going to require some effort, some um, some stick to itness. But you believe some, that the American people are s- sort of on to well, this now? Well, I don't now, think there's any question. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question. The American people understand now how corrupt their government is. I mean, I think Trump has absolutely raised awareness in regards to that. Now, now if you're one of these people who like the trains to run on time, and, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, and I, I can't answer this. How many of the people who despise Trump despise him because of his lack of reverence? Or, or the 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 um their perceived indecency and irreverence and disrespect uh, to the office, I, I would argue the majority aren't bothered at all by that. He just threatens the machine. Um, the irreverence is an excuse. The indecency is an excuse. Um, the the lack of um discipline is an excuse. The reason you really don't like him is because he may disrupt the way the game's played, and you've corrupted the game to a way or to a place where it advantages you monumentally. So, yeah, I mean, um, when somebody gives a million dollars to run a campaign against Donald Trump, they're not doing that because he's irreverent or indecent or unethical. They're doing that because he threatens the machine that they have helped build. That That is really the motivator for most people who passionately oppose Trump. It's money. I'm going to follow the money, <laughs> not some of the time, not most of the time. All of the time. Let's go to the phone. Breeze joins us now. Hey, Breeze. Yeah, kid, if that was what bothered them, they couldn't live with themselves because they're all of the things that they hate Trump about. But anyway, uh, you know, I, you, I, I didn't like this movie, but it, it kind of tells you that there was a movie called Lord of the Rings, and anyone that held that ring, it, it destroyed them. And I'll tell you right now, this, and I've been studying this, this is Satan. When you give somebody power, I would say that the average politician could go in and, and be as good a person as you can imagine. But every year he's there, Satan gets a bigger grip on his or her heart. So their lust for power and money becomes so great. And by the time a politician is, I don't care if he's a county council member. By the time he's been there eight years or longer, he has been totally ruined. And the devil has taken over and all of their concern about it. Why would these people spend hundreds and hundreds and thousands and sometimes millions of dollars for a low-paying job? Anybody would tell you that 135 grand a year in Washington is a low-paying job. But another thing I would say, used to say is when Trump got into office where his mistake was, he didn't get rid of the Republican swamp. In other words, you've got to go into battle with loyal soldiers and loyal generals. Well, that's our problem right now. We have got to start clearing our own swamp. 
So the minute Tom Rice says that he thinks that Liz Cheney should be the speaker for the party, and now Tom Rice is now an enemy of all of the God-fearing people and Christians and uh, the vote here in South Carolina. He is now our enemy. He is not on our side. He is on their side. He is on the enemy side. I said, and it is as good as it is as simple as good versus evil, God versus the devil. And the more the devil starts taking over here in this country, the further the decline becomes because everything you see is happening for a reason. Just like I put on your post, you create emergencies, and then they create these emergencies. They gain more power and wealth, and then they take away more of our liberties and more of our freedoms, and they do it incrementally one step at a time. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. You got the video and the audio teed up? Yeah. For, uh, Breeze mentioned a second ago, and for those just joining us, um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Rice had an interview with uh, Jonathan Carl of ABC News in which he defended. I mean, we've heard of the defense, and he's been very consistent uh, in that defense of the vote uh, to impeach Donald Trump. But he kind of went a step further, and I found this a bit odd to me. Now, once again, I'm a uh, kind of an instinctive politician. Uh, I don't know what the polling says. I don't know what any of the uh, the messaging is. But but Rice basically said something that convinces me. He is a man who believes he has zero chance of losing or zero percent chance of winning. Now, we know what the polling says, but when you go this far down this road, uh, it's just different. It sounds odd from a guy in a hotly contested Republican primary in South Carolina. I mean, have you seen the polling on Liz Cheney nationwide? Very few Republicans care much for Liz Cheney. But Congressman Rice, a week out from a, a Republican primary in a very red state, says this. Well, see, he's certainly entitled to his opinion. I'm insulted by real Republican. You know, she is a real Republican. I think America Firsters are very real Republicans. I think those who want Liz Cheney thrown out of the House in Wyoming are as real Republicans as they get. But but once again, guys, th- th- there are certain faction and forces that believe that they have a right. They've earned the right. It's been given to them by God. I mean, Trump is a manifestation I wish people would really understand this. Trump is much more than a mortal. I mean, he's a deeply, deeply flawed man, but he's a manifestation. He's a display, a demonstration of what happens when government believes it does not have to be held accountable to the people. And when Tom Rice says that he thinks Liz Cheney will be, uh, would be a great speaker, that's a man who believes he has 0% chance of losing uh, next Tuesday or 0% chance of winning next Tuesday um, because Rice, Cheney, me, you, nobody nobody gets to define what a real Republican is. You have an opinion of what a real Republican. I have an opinion of what a real Republican, and, and trust me on this, the more real Republicans who embrace this America First agenda, this pro-worker, um, quasi-nationalist movement, will have the best chance of engaging Democrats and winning elections. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937 is our number. We've got a guest here in our studio, Department, excuse me, Superintendent of Education. We'll go to her in two seconds, but I think someone held on during the break. Let's go to the phone. Here's Morris in Sumter listening to WDXY this morning. Hi, Morris. Yes, good morning. Ken, I think we may be trying to be too smart by half. 
regarding Tom Rice. It kind of blew me away yesterday, too, when I heard what he said, you know, about uh, Liz Cheney, uh, him promoting her to be the Speaker of the House. Now, my initial reaction to that was, okay, this guy knows that his goose is cooked. He's read the tea leaves. He, he knows he's lost. But it's like you always say, follow the money. If he loses this election, which he probably surely will, then what's his next best bet, which would be to uh, try to line up a lobbying position in D.C.? Probably the 7th District is not going to see him anymore after the election. Uh, he's he's hedging his bets. He's throwing his lot uh, with Liz Cheney and, and that bunch. And so I think that's where that thing is shaking now. Uh, that's, that's what I uh, immediately thought when I heard that yesterday. Thank you, Morris. Appreciate that. That's kind of an interesting observation. It just surprised me um, when he – I expected a, a full-throttle defense of his impeachment vote. I mean, he's been very consistent with that, and he still believes – because I've talked to Tom in some private conversations. I mean, he still believes that was the right thing to do. Whether politically he pays the price, we'll find out in a week. But but going the extra step and and basically saying um, a little bit nonchalantly that, that you know – I'll have to wait on Kevin McCarthy or not, but I'd vote for Liz Cheney today as I'm um, speaking of the house. I don't want to, you said it was a little bit insulting. I don't know if it's insulting as much as it is, you know, just, um, I'm either bulletproof or I'm done. I mean, that's just, you know, if I were running for office and I had information that led me to believe I had absolutely no chance to lose, I'd say anything I wanted to say. If I had a poll that said I have no chance to win, I'd probably do something similar to that. Um, there's an invincibility that comes along, um, and then there's an acceptance that, um, yeah. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, Rev, the, the, the strategy that I always believed, and once again, I'm a guy with a radio show who used to serve in, in political office. I certainly don't know everything, but I know some things. And for those who believed, because I had many, many friends who were my supporters who believed that eventually people will forgive and forget. And I just knew better than that. There, there's something about this. And I'll tell you the reason. I want to go back to our, our last segment. Um, if people would let Trump be, maybe it would wane. But but every time you turn around, that there's another story. There's another investigation. There's Peter Navarro in handcuffs and shackles, as if he's a um, a mass murderer or a or a drug trafficker. In fact, he's um, in contempt of court. He didn't show up for a January sixth hearing, and they basically um, arrest and um, apprehend him at an airport. Why? Because he um, he didn't show up for court? No, because he's a Trump guy. And and, and every time you do that, it intensifies the energy. You and it's worth it, remembering that Eric Holder was also held in contempt of well, Congress. There, and there, there have been a lot of people held in contempt free. of Congress that have not been. Um, well, I'll give you an example. Last week, Michael Sussman went to the FBI and said, I'm not working for anybody. Michael Sussman sent a bill to the Clinton campaign the day he went and met with the FBI. But the, the jury in Washington said, nothing to see here. Um, you know, three jurors had given Clinton money. People are not going to, they're, they're not going to give in when such a double standard is being, um, I don't know, proposed or uh, presented as reality. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm just telling you, the best thing to do with Trump is leave him alone. Because every time you try to disparage or demean or, or insult his candidacy or his presidency, for that matter, you intensify the universe of people who believe. And and Trump believes he's this is about him. 
He's special. He's chosen. No, I mean, he is special in that he has name ID through the roof. He had a lot of money and he's not afraid to say what he wants to say. So, so there's some uniqueness in Trump, but Trump is more a manifestation of people's frustration with the American political system. You said it during the break. How many Republicans have I voted for that told me they were going to secure the border? How many Republicans have I voted for that said they were going to deal with China in a very different sort of way? How many Republicans have I voted for that said I'm going to craft trade deals that advantage the American worker? And they just simply did not do it. So, so the, 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 the Trump phenomenon had to be expected uh, more, more than unexpected. Uh, one of the things that I think we need to radically change is education in our nation. Uh, I think public education um, needs dramatic, dramatic reform. Um, I don't know if this lady with us is a reform candidate, but Dr. Kizzy Staley Gibson is a candidate for superintendent of education in the Republican primary um, this coming to, excuse me, a week from tomorrow, June 14. Good morning, ma'am. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? So your um, your campaign slogan Restoring the promise of a higher edu- higher quality education to every child. Um, first, who are you? Tell a little bit about yourself. And then um, how do you hope to restore that promise of a high quality education to every child? I am Dr. Kizzy Gibson, and I was raised in Orangeburg, South Carolina by two educators and administrators. Both of my parents taught for close to 40 years. And uh, I attended Claflin University, graduated in 2003 uh, with my undergrad in Columbia College in 2005 with my master's degree and my doctorate in 2016 from North Central University. I've been an educator in the state of South Carolina for 18 years. I just finished up my last day of school this past Friday. I'm in Lexington one and uh, I'm a mom, have two teenage children, both attend public school here in South Carolina and I'm married uh, for almost 18 years. But I am ready to serve uh, the, the students, the educators, the parents of South Carolina. Um, I do believe that I am the most qualified candidate based on my, my experiences in education, my experiences as a parent, uh, raising children. Um, and as a conservative evangelical Christian, I believe that South Carolina, sitting in the Bible Belt, we are ready to ensure that our children are not being indoctrinated, but that they're being taught um, and that they know they have everything inside of them. It's God-given to be successful. And that is how we're going to ensure, that is how I am going to ensure that that all of our children succeed. And that is through um, school choice. I was a proponent of the, a supporter of the PACE scholarship bill, which would have offered a real school choice to the students in South Carolina. If you're not familiar with PACE, please do your homework, read up on PACE. Um, I am ready to be a voice of influence to make sure that happens um, for us in South Carolina during the next session. Why have we not heard as much about your candidacy as we've heard uh, some of the others? Well, Dr. Gibson is completely funded by the common man and the common woman. Um, I don't have big money b- behind me. I am a common woman who was raised in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Um, I don't have any big money connections. And so we all know that it takes money, of course, to to raise um, awareness of your candidacy. However, we're depending completely on grassroots and uh, word of mouth. And I think, I not think, I know we are the undercurrent that South Carolina is about to see explode. Let Tim me ask you Gibson. another question. This is a, uh, this is a um, audio medium, not a visual medium. You're an African-American female. Absolutely. Uh, the, the one place that Republicans have struggled 
in finding um, interested souls to advocate on behalf of education or policy in general has been African-American females. What led you to become a Republican? I give all credit to my parents, Alvin and Bretta Staley. They raised me as a conservative Christian person, evangelical Christian. And we were always taught, my brother and I were always taught to make sure that we're basing our decisions in life, whether it's voting, um, schooling, whatever it is, base it on scripture. Um, it's the old saying, what would Jesus do? A long time ago when I was in school, you'd hear people say that. But I realized very early on, even before entering a Claflin University, I, I realized that my evangelical beliefs aligned with conservative values of the Republican Party. And so I can remember being uh, maybe one of two Republicans on campus um, during my time at Claflin University. The other who was a huge supporter of the campaign is Dr. Walter Curry out of uh, Orangeburg County. But um, ensuring that what I do aligns with the Bible is extremely important to me, and it's, it's based on how I was raised. I'm one that believes, I come from the business sector, the, the, the private sector business community. We, we've always kind of, um, we, we've scared educators by believing that education should be run as a business. When I got in politics, I accepted some of the differences. Um, it's, it's, you know, my brother and I run a business together. We could change the course of that business in a single moment, in a single minute. Education um, can't be that way. But, but as a politician, I still believe that education needs competition. You mm -hmm. talked about school choice a second ago. How much better does education get when we introduce competition to the marketplace? A whole lot better when you realize that what you're offering uh, to students is now uh, you, you're competing with another school or another uh, way to, to educate students. You, you amp your game up. Everyone knows that. That's uh, capitalism 101. But I do believe that not, not aside from competition, we have to consider that every child does not learn the same way. And the, the same environment is not going to serve every child the best. So we have to offer options if we want to see students succeed and be the best versions of, of themselves. And I think that that power should be in the hands of parents. As a parent, I, I believe that we are the, um, the, the number one stakeholder in our child's education, our child's life and upbringing so South Carolina, and I believe South Carolinians, are wholeheartedly support school choice. Um, and I, I always speak of PACE because it's private, privately funded. And they say, Kizzy, why is that important? Because right now we've seen things like CRT, SEL, um, even Common Core come on the backs of federal funding. And those strings that are attached to federal funding are not always good strings. We've learned that from our experiences in the past. So until we can become autonomous in South Carolina with our education system, we are going to have to be extremely creative in what we offer parents um, for their children, whether it's homeschooled or charter school or magnet or private, faith-based, whatever it is, we need to make sure that we're offering it for every child in South Carolina. What do you tell conservatives who believe that education has made a deal with the devil in that has become uh, very receptive of the liberal orthodoxies and resistance of the conservatism that you talk a lot about. I would say we are seeing a huge push for liberal ideas. It's no denying it. It is there. Um, however, what we're not seeing is the uh, large amounts of like-minded 
individuals who are still in the education system. There are teachers just like me throughout the state who are conservative, who are pushing back, who are not pleased with the, the liberal agenda that we're seeing being pushed. And it's because of them that we're going to start, start to see change again. We're going to start to see more of morals established, absolutes established. Um, and I think we've, we've gotten away from that very uh, intentionally. It wasn't that we were all, well, let's just be honest. We were asleep behind the wheel. Conservatives where we were asleep and we allowed things to take place that now we're trying to fix. So uh, being superintendent of education, I'll definitely need the support of, of the community and of parents and, and other like-minded conservatives to make the changes that need to, to happen. We saw during COVID um, that education given online. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, in other words, kids need structure. They, mm-hmm. they need some sort of um, parameters or, or guardrails in place. Kids are kids are kids, right. no matter where they come from or who they live with. Um, having said that, are there things we can do differently Technology-related, online learning, um, virtual learning. Mm-hmm. I see where you are. Um, you're in a doctorate of education in online learning, K-12, mm-hmm. and adults. Um, are, are there things that we did during COVID that we should have done much better at? Absolutely. And as someone who, who has an, considered an expert in online learning, I, I understand that what we experienced um, as educators and as parents during COVID was – an emergency situation. We wanted to continue educating students. However, you had students and you had educators who were not comfortable with that method of learning. And so we did see where there were gaps in the system, there were lags, and it wasn't implemented as smoothly as it could have been. I think children who were already enrolled in places like South Carolina Connections Academy or K-12, I think they, they probably did not experience as much learning loss as those who were kind of shoved into it because of COVID. But definitely uh, moving forward, I believe we will see advances in that method of learning Um, simply because we won't be in an emergency situation trying to implement uh, education. Last last question. You're from Orangeburg. I grew up in a little town, Pamplico, in lower Florence County. So I understand the struggles of rural America, Mm -hmm. South Carolina, no different. Are there things that a superintendent of education need to be aware of, keenly interested in, to try and provide these um these families of kids in rural settings that don't have the employment opportunities, the economic assets, um, are there are there encouragements, are there incentives, are there things that you would support to give a better quality of education to rural South Carolina families? Absolutely, coming from the quarter of shame as we're dubbed, uh, I ninety five stretch, um, I uniquely understand the challenges of those areas. And I would say that sets me apart from the others who are in the race. They don't have an understanding of of that area as well as I do because I lived it, I breathe it, I've, I grew up there and I worked there as an educator. And it's helped to frame my initiatives, which is one initiative that's very dear to my heart is the certified, South Carolina Certified Student Mentorship Program. I know from my experiences, that mentors are extremely important. I had great mentors in Orangeburg, at Clark Middle School, at Orangeburg Wilkinson, at Claflin University. And a lot of people say, how did you come from Orangeburg? You became Dr. Gibson. And I always say I had great parental involvement and had great mentors. So implementing a state-certified student mentorship program that would include dads on duties, moms as mentors, veterans as um mentors, officers on the offense, pastors of promise, energized entrepreneurs, all of these people 
have qualities that we want the next generation to have, like forgiveness, grit, resilience, optimism, courage, and a strive for excellence. So that's one of the programs that I want to implement. And they could also serve as reading buddies. And then my other idea, which kind of segues into my second initiative, which is Soft Target No More, which is a, a school safety initiative. We could be training these individuals to help secure our buildings um, at our school buildings to make sure our kids are safe um, and building bridges between law enforcement and, and students and regaining a respect for law and order is going to be extremely important. And another thing that I've been talking about is the 1776 curriculum, implementing that because it has character virtues that our students desperately need. Anyone who's currently in education will tell you that there's been a decline in moral morals and values in students. And that's why we see the instances of violence and uh, high crime. We Children don't they're not being taught right from wrong. And we've got to address uh, that issue. And a lot of my initiatives, when you look at my website, they, they're they all intertwined. They work together to produce a, a greater education system for South Carolina. And I think that's important and that's unique about my campaign and about my, my platform that you're not going to see in the other candidates. And I want to go back to one thing. And this has been the last question. We have three members of General Assembly here Friday all agreed. They're local here in Florence. They mm-hmm. all agreed that fortifying or hardening some of these soft targets is something the State General Assembly has to figure out a way to fund. As superintendent of education, you would work with the General Assembly in creating a, a model that does make school shootings less likely by arming more people on that um, on that campus. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would. I would. And that, I, as mentioned before, I really believe that we could train some of the, the certified student mentors to serve um, as individuals to help secure the building, they being plain clothes, which I think is important that if someone comes with ill intention, they don't know who to target. They don't know who's armed. And I think that's important um, for us to consider in South Carolina um, to begin arming some, some just regular citizens. I think that is well explained. Okay, Dr. Gibson, um, you admitted you're not well funded. You don't have money to run ads all over the place. But it, but you, you've been very impressive here on the on the radio, and I know a good candidate when I see one because I bumped into some good ones and bad ones in my years in politics. <laughs> you're a good candidate. You're well, somebody. You. You're someone who deserves um, our listeners and voters consideration. How can someone find out more about your campaign? What eight days from an election? I would love for you to visit KizzyGibson.com. Spell that K I Z Z I G I B S O N dot com. And there's a way to donate uh, there. And I will be all over this state within the next uh, eight days. If you're interested in in uh, meeting me in person, please keep an eye on my Facebook page. I do have a Facebook page, Dr. Kizzy Gibson for South Carolina Superintendent of Education. Okay. Thank you very much and good luck. Thank you. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. I'll tell you, when you listen to the ad that Tom Rice's wife does, it, it's hilarious to me because at the end she says, not a lying rookie. You don't do that before Trump. You just don't do that. Nobody does that. I mean, if you're reading a script and you're the wife of a member of Congress and it says a lying rookie, you just, you know, you X that I'm not doing that. There's no way in the world I'll do that. It is very normal now. The unorthodox has become very accepted, very normal. Um, Thigpen said to me one day, and, um, he's not a big Trump fan. You know, he's not, I mean, you know, he, he understands it. He gets it. He doesn't like it, but he understands it. But he said, I wish I were 40 
so I could study this for the next 30 years. Um, you know, the impact, the transition, the difference. And I just, when, when she, when Renzi said, um, you know, send Tom back to Washington, not a line rookie. <laughs> I just kind of bust out laughing loud because you, you, before Trump, you would never have considered remotely even saying something as outlandish and disrespectful and irreverent as that. Trump has turned politics into kind of a, um, uh, you know, a cheers where everybody, you know, I can say whatever I want to say. Who says I can't do it this way or say it that way? You combine Trumpism, uh, the American first ideology. Remember last week when I said that Peter Thiel or Thielism to me is Trump's ideology. It's really Trump's lack of ideology. If, if we can um, turn that into a disciplined political platform, we're going somewhere. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's the, the, the ideology of Donald Trump is not ideological. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's simply not. It's whatever works in whatever set of circumstances. But if you can take Teal and, you know, Vance and Masters and uh, some of these more, I don't want to say thoughtful people. I think Trump's a thoughtful man in, in a different sort of way. Um, you don't end up with a billion bucks in your own private jet if you aren't some thoughtful, if there's some thoughtfulness that happens in your world. But but once again, that's kind of interesting. Trump's ideology contains uh, contains no ideological bent. I mean, it really doesn't. It's, uh, it's whatever works today to get us through to the next one, and then we'll figure that out as we go. But but Teal and those, Teal, Masters, Vance, some of the others, they have this, um, I don't know, Rev, this, um, this execution that is going to be necessary to enact a disciplined political platform that I've labeled intellectual contrarianism. Let's go to the phone. Here's David in the PD. Hey, David. Hey, how y'all doing, man? I remember back in the day, uh, the Watergate hearings interrupted my mama soap operas. And, boy, she was so mad about that. And when I watched Tom Rice yesterday, and, and here's my comment here, D.C. has become a soap opera, and there is what you call a political media industry. So somewhere along the line in that conversation, there's going to be June 9th, prime time. We're going to have these hearings. And I'm going to say something nice about Tom Rice. If I was Tom Rice, I'd do the same thing he's doing now. Because guess what? If he loses, what better to transition to the media? And he's had Chris Christie, I guess he's been promoting him. Uh, and there is a profit center well, this anti-Trump movement, uh, you can go on the media and make money. John Kasich, all these guys. I mean, think about that. Um, so so I, I give him credit. And I don't – I think, Ken, did, have you actually watched this from yesterday? I did. Did you watch it? I did. Yeah, someone sent it to me okay. yesterday 30 seconds after it happened, I think. I'm telling you, my man, I saw a little – I call it an optic snippet said pro-life, pro-gun, pro-Trump. Now, this is what the Democrats are going to run on. They're going to run on abortion. That's the opposite of pro-life. They're going to run on anti-gun. And pro-Trump is, is going to be January 6th. Uh, so that just, again, there's, I I, these cats are smart, man. These doggone Democrats are so smart. He had, what was the guy? Buttigieg was on there. Okay, high gas price. You know, if I Putin's war is one of those things, if I'm a true super progressive, 
man, I don't, I don't mind paying that much money. I make, I mean, that's my green badge of courage. Uh, if you live in a virtual world, you live at home anyway. If if you're dependent on government, you don't go anywhere. So how does gas price affect you? Uh, so, so they are so good at what they do, man. Uh, but anyway, today is D-Day, June 6th. Uh, let's remember that. And I can guarantee you, if those cats that got off them boats that day knew what was going on with this, oh, they may have backed off of that boat. Seeing men's going to marry men, men are pregnant, uh, we can marry our pet or whatever. Maybe they would not have done what they did. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. You know, it seems to me that the majority of you um, believe that it's working. You know, the uh, and David's right. I mean, this election is going to be about, I mean, the Democrats are going to try to frame it in abortion rights and uh, and gun control. You know, the um, the conservatives won't give the woman a right to choose her own sorts of issues relating to health care. And, you know, the gun control debate is why we've got, you know, the the Republicans, they're these 2A purists, the Second Amendment uh, authoritarians, you know, they won't allow state governments to um, put any kind of law. I mean, there's 3,400 gun laws in place now. Uh, we, don't, we don't do a good job of enforcing some of these gun laws. Um, some I support, some I don't support. Um, I was arguing with a young person over the weekend about gun laws and I mean, they're buying this weapons of war narrative and all these other, but this is a young person and I try to, you know, correct them, but I just keep going back to this Gallup's economic confidence index number. And this is encouraging to me uh, because once again, I don't think people believe what George Stephanopoulos is saying. I don't think people, I mean, I do. I think we watch, we listen, uh, we observe so some, I don't know, Rev, that there's a, um, I mean, I do this for a living, so I feel I have an obligation to at least kind of peruse, you know, some of the New York Times, and, but I don't believe um, what they say. Um, I'll give you another example. Uh, they're going to make a big deal this week about the January 6th commission meetings are uh, going to be televised in primetime. Do you really believe that that's going to move the meter? I mean, do you think that the January 6th commission being broadcast in primetime, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are the only Republicans on the committee meeting? I mean, they're, they're, picked by Nancy Pelosi. Well, sure. I mean, I mean uh, Jim, jo- excuse me, um, Kevin McCarthy told Pelosi who he wanted to represent, and she said, no, I get to pick your Republicans. <laughs> so she picked Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Um, you know, I, I understand what David's saying, and all of our callers have, have pretty much fallen into that line, that, um, you know, the line, the cheat, the steal. I just think that the American people are done with that. I mean, I think we baked that into our cake. Um, when the January 6th meetings are televised in primetime Thursday night, um, I don't think, I, I mean, I watch it, but there's nothing about that I find genuine or authentic, revealing, um, you know, uh, poignant. There, there's nothing there. I mean, it's a witch hunt. It's a political witch hunt. Um, and it's meant to try and, you know, gin up animus with the Trump agenda and and in turn, you know, the Trump-endorsed candidates. I mean, this this has very little to do with Trump. I mean, the, the reason we're seeing this now is we've got elections that include Trump-endorsed candidates um, coming down the pike. We've got a Trump-endorsed Russell Fry. We got a Trump endorsed Harriet Hagman. We got a Trump endorsed uh, Katie Arrington. Uh, you know, those are the ones I'm familiar with. Uh, but th- there'll be a lot of other races around the country featuring Trump endorsed candidates. There won't be many races that include a Trump impeachment vote because most of those people decided not to run again. You know, um, Tom Ross decided to run again, and Liz Cheney decided to run again. And, uh, you know, when, when Ross says what he said about Liz Cheney, um, 
it just sounds to me like that's a man who believes I have 0% chance of losing or 0% chance of winning. I'll let you decide uh, which camp you fall in there. But we're eight days away from a, uh, a a pretty interesting primary in two districts in South Carolina that include, um, I mean, the uniqueness of the Rice race is Trump impeachment, Trump endorsement. Uh, the Arrington is a Trump endorsement, but it doesn't feature the Trump impeachment. Um, how many of you are going to vote next Tuesday against Tom Rice, not because you don't think he's been a good um, congressman, not because you don't think he's a good and decent man, not because you probably would be willing to give him uh, two more years, maybe four more years, but he made that vote, and that vote is a bridge too far. I mean, I would argue 75 80% of our listeners are probably in that camp. They don't have any personal animus with Tom Rice. He kind of made it personal with them when he voted to impeach Trump and kind of double, triple, quadruple down. And now he's saying things like, you know, I don't know about Kevin McCarthy being speaker. Trump endorsed McCarthy yesterday as I'm the speaker because uh, the Republicans are going to win the House. I mean, it's virtually impossible for them not to gain control of the House of Representatives by what margin, don't have any idea. It's not going to be one of those 2010-64 seat pickups because in 2010, the Republicans only had 178 seats. Today, they have 213, and the, and the most they've ever had, I think, is 247. So it's not like they're going to, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter what gas costs. I mean, we've got these gerrymandered districts, and we got, you know, the, uh, the mathematical realities of the election but it's going to be a good, good election cycle for Republicans. But is it going to be a good election cycle for America first Republicans? That's kind of the question I have. Is it going to be a good cycle for the America first strain within and so the Republican far in the primaries? It's been a very good one. It's, very it's good. not been unanimous. And I think Robert Cahaley said, I mean, nobody wins them all. I mean, Tiger Woods doesn't birdie every hole. Tiger Woods doesn't shoot 67 every round. Right, but even when he was in his prime, what you know, the 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 best Tiger was there's ever been. What was maybe or maybe not the best golfer there's ever been, but he didn't shoot sixty six every time he went out. So when uh, when 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 the when the anti Trump conglomerate says, "What about Georgia?" Just throw the other, you know. Um, I mean, he's about nine and two in in contested races where I think his endorsement mattered. He's about nine and two, pretty good winning percentage for me. Take a break. We'll be back. In just a minute. I'll stop at $50. I don't fill anything up anymore. I'll stop at $50. I want to get furious. I don't want to get mad. I don't want to go to Washington. I better stop and I'll say something reckless or careless <laughs> and get true. on some list. I better be careful here. But yeah, I put 50 bucks, whatever I'm driving and whatever I need, I don't put any more than $50 um, because I could put 100 and be furious at everybody who voted. You know, the ones I'm most furious with, you no count Republicans who voted for Joe Biden. You got exactly what you deserve. If there's a goodie in my vocabulary, it's not the Democrats. I mean, they don't have a problem with socialism. They don't have a problem with, you know, trying to wean us off fossil fuels. I, you know, they are what they are. But you no-count Republicans who say a Trump's indecency and vulgarity and, you know, bombast far exceeds anything the Democrats could do because the Democrats will be the adults. Well, every time I put 50 bucks worth of gas in my truck and it goes to half a tank mm -hmm. i am angry uh angry as can be Darn right. with you let's go to the phone michael in florence hello michael good morning well to, to tie in with what you just said it's like yeah i was telling my wife i i do uh 
IT support, so I drive a lot of miles going to different places. And I told her, I said, I'm going to spend an extra $6,000 a year this year in gasoline. You know, I'm not going to have anything to show for that. You know, it's, it's 6000 bucks just out the window. But um, I, I was calling in because, you know, you, you kind of talked about Tom Rice. Now, he showed up a while ago at the uh, Florence County Republican meeting. And, you know, he was talking about all these things he did and everything. And, you know, this, there was also this tone about him like, well, you know, I did all this stuff for you people and, you know, you don't know anything. And, uh, you know, even from some things you said, Ken, yeah, we really don't know what the hell goes on in, in the uh, halls of our legislatures, whether it's state or federal. But, but it all comes back to this, you know, and, and, and I've said this before, we need to st- stop calling these people our leaders. I don't need a leader. I'm not a follower, okay? I elect people to represent me and what I believe in and what my values are. And Tom Rice voting to impeach Donald Trump does not represent me. Because I think the whole January 6th thing is a farce. Trump asked for security. They refused to give it to him. And, and I mean, there's even rumors that the police pretty much opened the doors and invited the people in. So I'm just, I'm sick of the whole thing. It, it's like I'm sick of the Democrats. I heard something a few days ago about some woman back in like the 30s who they renounced her citizenship because of her Marxist views. Well, I like that idea. I think we should be renouncing quite a few people's citizenship. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Um, I don't know how much gas he burns in his truck, but I think he's, I mean, he's on a SpaceX missile being launched right now as we speak. <laughs> that was, that was what like was the background noise? Something running. I, mean, I think he's got on Bluetooth or whatever. He had it, you know, I mean, I think he's on SpaceX circling uh, the globe, uh, burning, <laughs> no telling how much fuel um, right now with gas. At, well, J.P. Morgan says $6.20 a gallon by August, national average. Today it's, what, four seventy nine, four seventy four. Somewhere thereabouts, they're talking about another dollar and a half um, increase in gas. Hey, you know, this is what you asked for. And once again, the Democrats, I don't think, deserve as much blame as the professing Republicans who said, let's put an adult in the White House. Let's get sanity back in charge. The, The caller made an interesting observation. I don't need a leader. I want a representative. I want somebody who understands in the collective who the people are that sent him to Washington, and I want his votes and values and and arguments to based on to be based on not what he believes, but what he thinks about the people he represent uh, believe, and that's kind of where we are. And uh, you know, in the early days of the vote, when when, when Trump, I'm mean, excuse me, when Rice voted to impeach Trump, and I'm with a buddy of mine, a cold beer. And, you know, we're talking about the race, and it, that's a long way off, and it's a year, and people will forget. I said, I, I just, for the life of me, I don't, I don't think people will forget that. I, I just, for, I, I think people will take great joy, and I could be wrong, and I've been wrong before, but I think the majority of Republican voters in the 7th Congressional District will take great joy in voting not against Tom Rice, but against the guy who voted to impeach 
Donald Trump. That's what I've always felt was the driving force, maybe even, Reb, the singular force in all of what we've talked about in this eight-day-away election. Take a break. Back in a moment. 843-661-0937 is our number. I read in Real Clear Politics yesterday. Do we have a call? Yep. Okay, let's go to the phone. I'm sorry. Jim in Florence. Hey, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So, so Ken, the whole vote with Tom just doesn't smell right because over the weekend he gets on TV and he screams, what he always screams, Constitution, Constitution. Yet he hasn't done a damn thing to stand up for the Eighth Amendment rights of these people that are still being unlawfully jailed in Washington, D.C. on misdemeanor charges. Um, they are clearly entitled to a bond, but yet he hasn't said a thing for them. I mean, furthermore, we got all these problems with Joe Biden that I'm sure there's a crime in there somewhere, but yet Tom Rice can't introduce articles of impeachment there. And my thing with Tom is if you're going to if you're going to double down on this vote, then stop being a hypocrite. I think I think we could all have a little bit more respect for Tom if he wasn't such a hypocrite on this. Um, you know, anybody that turns their back on Donald Trump turns their back on me because Donald Trump had my back no matter what. And that's why I can't support anybody um, that did turn their back on him. But lastly, Ken, I, I'll say this about term limits. I don't support term limits. Uh, I think term limits um, are trying to insinuate that the masses don't have enough sense of when to vote somebody out. Uh, what I do support, though, however, is a term limit on federal bureaucrats. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. I mean, uh, you know, I've got some buddies of mine who would go along with um, term limiting committee chairs. In other words, let's not, you know, term limit the office holder. Let's term limit the committee chair, uh, reform the seniority system. When I got to Columbia, I, it, it dawned on me real quickly, why is this person chairing this committee and not that person? I mean, that person obviously is more engaged, they're more competent, they're more diligent. Is it because uh, they've been there longer? Well, I mean, sure, you know, but but you got a guy that's very capable, very diligent, very ambitious. I mean, he wants to do the right thing. You can genuinely see that about, but he hadn't been there long enough. The other guy had been there longer. And um, so, they're, they're, you know, there are, there are ways to improve government um, other than term limits. I mean, philosophically, I guess the reason I support term limits is I oppose career politicians. But Jim's exactly right. I mean, if we are a politically literate country, um, we know who's doing a good job and who's not doing a good job. And we, you know, we don't elect the ones going back over and over and over again. But there's so many embedded advantages that the incumbent has uh, fundraising. Once you get to Washington and you vote on a few things that favor or advantage a constituency group that has the ability to raise money, I mean, that puts you far ahead of the game you know philosophically i'm opposed to this and here's where i think trumpism i've used that word probably more today than i because i do believe that this is a reflection of trumpism jim just said something you know trump had my back um he didn't say america first had my back And, and i'm and i'm patient here i mean i understand that right now this is still a lot about a single person i get that i'm not trying to hurry up you know, hurry us along in, in getting past this. But there will be a moment in time, it'll probably be a little bit different moment for Rev than it is for me, a little bit different for Jim than it is uh, for some of the other callers. But there'll be a moment in time when we realize that um, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson ain't walking through that door. 
you know, there, there's a little bit of hope and anticipation about Trump at 79 years old running for the presidency again. Um, you know, does he, does his endorsed candidate beat Tom Rice? Does his endorsed candidate beat um, Liz Cheney? Does his endorsed candidate win the general in Ohio, in Pennsylvania? Does his endorsed candidate in Arizona become a U.S. senator? I mean, if, 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 if several of those things break his way, yes, he's running. I mean, there's no doubt about it. If several of those things don't, then I think it's it's there's a reason to be more skeptical. He may not um, decide to you know kind of go down that road at 79 years old. I mean, behind the scenes, Trump has tried to put back together a business empire. I mean, when you you know, I mean, I know that. I mean, they, and other people have reported on that. I mean, they they were bleeding. You know, I mean, that they, they were uh, attacked by some of the organized forces, the PGA. Uh, remember, they pulled a golf tournament. Some other oh, yeah. events chose to not host their um, their functions at a Trump hotel or a Trump golf course or or Trump convention center. So he was bleeding money, and and I think they've done a decent enough job, not a great job, but a decent enough job of stopping the bleeding, kind of putting some of that back together. You know, Rev, you're talking about the PGA. I'll give an example of what I think is happening now. And I'll use the PGA and NCAA. We've talked a lot about the NCAA. You know, I'm not being willing to give an inch. and They're going to have to give a mile. Um, the coaches of the SEC, you, you told me last week, and I went back and read, the coaches uh, met in Destin, Florida, at the SEC winter meetings, or no, the SEC spring meetings, not Security Exchange Commission, Southeastern <laughs> Conference, uh, the real SEC, yeah. and because it just means more. Um, so they met. And the, the coaches of the member institutions make about $100 million a year, somewhere between 80 and $100 million a year in annual salary. At about the same time those coaches were meeting, um, Pac-12 commissioner and SEC commissioner Greg Sankey were in Washington lobbying um, in relation, I don't want to say in opposition to, because I don't know, but in relation to the NIL, the name, image, and likeness uh bill that several states have put in place so you've got um you've got the ncaa who basically had all the uh, all the keys to the liquor cabinet right i mean not only do they own the liquor they own the keys to the cabinet the cabinet they own the room the cabinet's in they own everything they've, they've got a um kind of an indentured servant working uh you know i mean just seriously i mean the, you know the, the the most valuable commodity in college football is the college football player right i mean i saw where the gamecocks had these new fancy lights um how how impressive are those lights if you're two and ten? I mean, so so the 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 player still the commodity that generates the revenue or generates the interest in the sport. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the new LED lights at Williams. Well, I mean, that's, that's cute. That's cute, especially oh. when they're two and ten. Um, I think the over under is five and a half. If <laughs> well, I'm not mistaken, won't be two and ten uh, probably won't. Well, Vegas has them at five and a half, so that means they'll either be five and seven or six and six, which is mediocre. But you're a Braves fan. Um, <laughs> And I think they're that one too. game over 500 this year. Yeah, they are. Huh? Okay, yeah. On the move. Hey, they're uh, over 500. But finally. no, but, but to stick with me for a second. So the coaches um, in the aggregate make about $100 million a year. Not quite. I think it's 85, 88 million. Um, the commissioner's in Washington. And you got to believe he's there saying, guys, we don't know what to do with NIL. What, what, he, what he's saying without saying it is, look, we liked it better when we got all the money. You know, now the kids getting a lot of this money, and we're having to deal with millionaire football players, and we don't like it. Is there something you guys can do for us? And, and certainly we can do some things for you. Well, you've got the NCAA, you've got the Saudi Golf Tour. That, that's kind of I mean, uh, Kevin uh, Nah, 
announced that he's resigning, retiring from the PGA Tour. Um, Phil Mickelson will probably play in one of these events. And, and I think there's kind of a mindset amongst the public, forget politics for a second, that these people who have tried to convince you they've got all of our interests uh, genuinely, they're, they're, our best interest is why they do what it is they do. The student athlete, the professional golfer, uh, the PGA is a not-for-profit. I mean, imagine that. How much does the commissioner make? How much proceeds do they generate? What do they do with that money? I, I just think there's been a kind of a, um, I don't know, we, we got to look behind the curtain, guys. When Trump got elected, he allowed all of us to take somewhat of a, it was a bumpy ride. I mean, it was not, you know, uh, a, a, a plane flight with no turbulence. There was a lot of turbulence. It was a bumpy-ass ride. We nearly fell off two or three times, but we kind of stayed the course, and now we've had a look behind the curtain. So when Greg Sankey goes to Washington, 20 years ago, Sankey could have stood behind a podium and said, I'm here to make sure the player gets treated fairly, the member institution, you know, everybody gets a fair deal. Now we know why he's there. He liked it better when they controlled the revenue. He liked it better when they had all, uh, you know, when they had the keys to the liquor cabinet, PGA golf. I mean, you know, they basically tried to run Phil Mickelson, tried to destroy him. You know how Mickelson is. Phil went from being a media Darlington uh, to all of a sudden a media Darlington, a media Darlington <laughs> to all of a sudden the, 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 the mortal enemy of the PGA, right? You know why? He broke ranks. And I think it's going to become more and more popular to break ranks. That's where I go to this intellectual contrarianism that I think is really going to define the next 25, 30 years of American politics. It's not going to be monopolized by the conservatives. The, the, the right, the Republican Party, it will infiltrate into the left. And maybe that's some of the Bernie Sanders socialism mindset. But, but the majority of people are beginning to realize that our government, whether it's, uh, let's just let's say the NCAA, I mean, it is a governing agency. It's not the government but it is a governing agency. The PGA, it's not a government, but it's a governing agency. The NBA, Major League Baseball. The American public have so little faith and confidence in these institutions, in these organizations, because we found out what you guys were in it for. Yourself. The NCAA would not give an inch. Now they're having to give a mile. Do you think they're just going to give in? and say, okay, the model has been broken. Now our member institute, no, higher education is another example. I mean, aren't we beginning to become more and more aware of the scam that has been perpetrated against the American public? Um, you don't know this or not, but you helped pay somebody's debt off over the weekend that you didn't borrow the money of. I think it's 80 billion bucks, if I'm not mistaken, um, that there's a certain private or for-profit university that, that wrote a lot of bad debt and the government backstopped some of the debt. So um, when they say cancel the debt, there is no canceling of that debt. That debt is transferred. I mean, somebody got made whole. The leaning institution was made whole, and now you're footing the bill. So, so all of us today, this morning, are a little bit more in debt because our government, your government, my government decided to pay off somebody's student debt because they didn't think they got a fair shake. So I think all of this is a product or a byproduct of, once again, the manifestation of Trump. Trump is a big deal. That, that what was happening in America, our skepticism, our apprehension to believe some of these authoritative agencies and entities that we've historically trusted, that's the story. I mean, that is the story. You know what I, I was thinking about this? You know the last thing I would do if I were Tom Ross? Tell people I'm on the ways and means. 
Really? I mean, oh, there, there you'd have to twist that. I mean, there, there is no way I'd tell people I'm on the Ways and Means. I'm a powerful politician. I'm on the way. No, I mean, I think it plays against the grain. But once again, you, you can't, some people just can't accept that this is normal now. Um, that there, there are still people out there listening to my voice who believe that, that the fundamentals still exist to help you get elected, to, to, to run college football, to address the professional game of golf. Um, I'm just arguing that fundamentally, fundamentally America's changing and the people are not just highly skeptical of organizations and, and the government would be the, the primary organization, um, but, but we, we kind of sort of know we can do something about it now. And I think that's the legacy of Trump, the, the revelation of, you know, being able to look behind the curtain and, and honestly, to some degree, understand how corrupt and bought off the entire system really is. But they're still trying to teach us a lesson. Well, I mean, yeah, they're trying to teach you a lesson. And I would imagine if I ran a campaign 10 years ago or if I were just unwilling to accept the new normal, if I was unwilling to accept the new normal, then of course I would say vote for my guy because he's on the ways and means. Vote for my guy because he chairs judiciary. I think that's a net negative instead of a net positive. Now, if you're running a business and a lot of your business um, dealings require government influence or government involvement, then of course you think that's a big deal. Let me ask you a question. To, to the welder in Pamplico, to the farmer in Darlington, to the, um, to the construction worker in, in Hartsville, to the factory worker in Lake City, do you give a rat's ass who chairs the ways and means when gas is five fifty a gallon and, and, and the cost of building a home has gone up 40%? Really? I just think it's too inside baseball for this electorate that I think are far more alert and aware than most politicians and insiders want to admit. Let's go to the phone. Jim in Florence. Hello, Jim. Hey. Uh, I tell you, Ken and uh, Dave, I'm going to have to ask you forgiveness this morning because I read a news site on the web before I turned your show on. But I think that may have been divine providence because the first thing I read on that news site was that uh, Mr. Rice said he thought uh, the lady from Wyoming, Miss Cheney, would make a great speaker of the House. And my immediate thought was, why is Tom Rice committing political suicide this close to the primary? Then I went to... Ken and Dave, and you were saying the same thing. You were you were thinking the same thing, and I was I was encouraged, Ken, because I said the old adage is proving true: great minds run in the same pattern. Second thing on the agenda today: the border, the largest migrant uh, caravan in history, is forming in Mexico, and they're going to be coming to our border. And nobody's going to stop them. We may ask their name, give them a check and a plane ticket to wherever they want to go, but we're not keeping them out. But, you know, Ken, I've come to the conclusion my Democratic friends tell me I have nothing to worry about because Kamala is in charge of the border. Help me, Ken. I'm getting worried. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Yeah, we've uh, we discussed extensively what Congressman Rice said yesterday on ABC News when he basically um, advocated that uh, Liz Cheney would be a good Speaker of the House. I did read a little bit about the migration 
this caravan making its way across Mexico, uh, many of Guatemalans and Nicaraguans and Costa Rica. There's several other of the, uh, of the uh, what is it, Central American, South American countries are kind of making their way um, through Mexico. I have no idea if it's the largest ever, but um, not only will they get a plane ticket, they'll also get probably a cell phone because a cell phone has a ping device that you can locate uh, these people. I mean, have you ever thought about this? That when the when the when the illegal immigrant makes his way into the country, and and he and he knows the you, know, you gave him a cell phone, but these guys aren't stupid. I mean, they they've got a little bit of um savviness and street smarts about them. But you give them a cell phone, the second they don't want to be found, they they just dish the cell phone. They probably sell it to a pawn shop somewhere for fifty bucks. And um, so so you know when when the FBI pursues this this uh this out of line i mean somebody who's supposed to be in a certain place at a certain time and they're not there that they go you know chasing down the ping signal and they end up at a pawn shop instead of um wherever it is that i mean the absurdity of this but but i want to go back and i guess the theme of this show for you what i mean but the, the theme of this show reb is is that i believe and maybe i'm trying to be optimistic here i think the american people are beginning to sense that this government is not operating on their behalf. I think we've always been suspicious, but nobody believed the FBI would be complicit. I mean, surely if a man, I mean, I'll give an example. It doesn't matter who you are or where you do it. If you tell the FBI that you're here on behalf of no one but yourself and, and patriotism is your calling, and we find out later that you text a senior ranking member of the FBI, you went and visited that senior ranking member of the FBI on behalf of a a story that included, you know, an American president. You sent a bill from Perkins Coy to the Clinton campaign that, that we always believed that there were, yeah, they're, they're probably up to something, but they certainly never, ever allow that to happen. And I think Trump is really exposed. There's nothing they won't allow to happen. And and I've said it, and I'll say it again. I'm glad that Sussman got off. I mean, I really am. I mean, I, I'm, I think in the long run, this is a good day for America first because it reminds you what these people are willing to do to stay in power. It reminds us how much they have convinced themselves that this government belongs to them. And guys, that's not a conspiracy theory. The bigger conspiracy theory is to believe that that's a conspiracy. That is the truth. There is a small universe of people who have confiscated, commandeered, hijacked our governments, our government and its sway, its control, its influence from the masses. And and that's where we are. And I think we accept that as our starting point. So, so what do we do about it? And I think Jim raised an interesting point. I mean, if you're that bothered by January 6th, are you not that bothered by the, the border? Are you not that bothered by inflation? Are you not that bothered by China? I mean, wh- where's the energy? And I think that's why the Republicans have bailed on the establishment. I mean, I think I don't I don't think the Republican Party, the, the, the rank and file Republican voter bailed on his party. I think his party bailed on its obligations. And I think enough was enough. And uh, you know, the the, uh, the Mitt Romneys of the world, I think Paul Ryan was in Florence. Last week, if I'm not mistaken, that's Mitt Romney's running mate. Um, I think he's on the Fox board, if I'm not mistaken, the Fox board of directors, amongst other um, post-political career appointments and jobs that these people have. 
I just believe, and this is optimistic of me, I think people are on to it. I think people are becoming more and more aware of it. I think they're beginning to more and more understand it or better and better understanding it. And I think Trump was the Molotov cocktail. I think Trump was the hand grenade you lobbed in the, in the bathroom or under the bathroom door. But I think the next step is a intellectual contrarianism that takes the Trump ideology that really ain't an ideology, but, but requires some sort of um, disciplined political platform that I think really and truly is highly effective over the next 20 or 25 years. Take a break. Back in just a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven takes Mondays to make Fridays. We've had back to back four day work weeks, or I have, or Rev's not, but I have. Um, we were all Friday before Memorial Day and the Monday after Memorial Day. So this is genuinely a takes Mondays to make Friday oh, yeah. back to the grind. These five day work weeks. Yeah. Oh. Well, I mean, you know, have to get used to this. But I mean, peasants have to live as peasants have to live, <laughs> right, Rev? Oh, yes. And we're amongst the peasants when it comes to to the grind <laughs> of a five right. day work week. That's right. So I'm trying to figure out. I try to keep up and maybe figure out how and what why do you, mean you try. You do a great job. Well, of no, it. well, no. When it comes to political strategy, and sometimes you you say something, I'm like, what? So I would think a lot of people that that consider and and may call themselves uh, rice supporters. Uh, say that because he's on way and ways and means, and he has that power within Congress now, that that is a good thing, and that is something that should be used as a as a pro versus a con when you're deciding if you're going to vote for Congressman Rice. Uh, but you said this morning that 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 may cut both ways. It's not necessarily a pro. I think it cuts one way. <laughs> I think it cuts bad. I mean, I, I think the the voter, the Republican primary voter today, are skeptical of what political power, right? I mean, every member yeah. of Congress has a certain degree of power. So you're going to tell the voters you have more power? There's a bias against insiderism, You I better guess, believe it. Right? And I, I just think you have to be careful. You know, in tradition, and Rev, this is the problem. A lot of people won't accept. A lot of people can't come to grips with. A lot of people just, I, I, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to believe that somebody like Donald Trump can get elected, and I'm not going to believe that he still maintains a high level of popularity amongst 50% of the people. I'm just not, you can bury your head in the sand and say, I refuse to buy that. I refuse to believe that. Um, it's a little bit like the um, the Clemson game. I'll give you a good example. Chad Morris at Clemson when he had, um, what was the quarterback before Deshaun Watson? A Clemson fan can help me here. He was an African-American guy. Taj um, Boyd. Taj Boyd. When, when Taj Boyd was quarterback at Clemson, um, Chad Morris was the offensive coordinator. And Chad Morris, they played in, um, in Death Valley. And they tried to block Jadavion Clowney with one player. He had this real complicated pass game. It's kind of like air... Um, Air Boyd or Air whatever. I mean, it was in the early days of Clemson really beginning to build a dynasty. They hadn't quite yet, but they were, you know, they were headed that way. Um, and this would have been when Spurrier was in South Carolina, and the state had an abundance of really good players. I'm giving more than he asked for, but I'll get there in a second. Um, but I can remember um, a good friend of mine who played at Clemson, and I were texting during the game, and we agreed very early, surely they're going to double-team Clowney at some point in time. I mean, surely they're going to realize that they can't send five receivers out every down. They've got to leave somebody in to account for Clowney. And they didn't. And he sacked a player. And he blew up plays. And he sacked another quarterback. And he blew up another play. And, and, you know, in the second half, I'm going like, really? I mean, at, at what point do you realize this ain't working? I mean, I don't have anybody that can block that guy. So we're going to leave one of our receivers in to help. We're going to double team the guy. Yeah, that leaves us down a man in a route. But, but we can't run it this way. 
Chad Morris refused to accept that they couldn't block Jadavion Clowney with one player. Um, a lot of Republicans today refuse to accept. It's almost like they wish they could wipe the blackboard clean and pretend it never happened. It did happen, and it happened for a reason. And there's more energy here than you could ever imagine. And I've been wrong about a lot of things in my life. I have always been very confident in my opinion of what's happening here. Um, as my Clemson friend said, you can't block this guy with one. You're not going to wipe the board clean of all that energy and all that, uh, what I like to refer to as the manifestation, the development of this energy and what it created and where it led. And I sincerely believe this. The more you attack Trump, the more you empower those people. And it is 66% of all Republican primary voters today identify as America first. They don't really, some of these people don't really like defending Trump, but if forced, they will. I mean, you know, they just believe in the movement. They believe in the evolution of the party. They believe that we're going to eventually be better off with J.D. Vance than Rob Portman. We're going to be better off with Blake Masters than John McCain. Um, it reeks of the establishment. It reeks of uh, the, the olden days. Um, and I see so many opportunities in Republican politics today that I don't think people capitalize on. And so, so yeah, I mean, historically, you know, I, if, if we're going to live in the world of powerful politicians, why wouldn't the 7th District want more, uh, more power in that system? I think the Republican primary voter goes, I don't want anybody tainted with power. I don't want anybody tainted by that influence. Um, and I'll just ask a simple question. How many of your lives are better because your congressman sits on the ways and means or your congressman chairs judiciary or your congressman? Um, that's just, I, I think it's a turnoff. And, and I would have probably not. I'll give you another example. Let me give you a local example here. And, and I think I said this on the air one day. When Jay Jordan announced his candidacy, for the state house, for the Senate, he's a House member. He announced his candidate for the uh, for the Senate. Remember the um, the list of sponsors and donors he had of the first event. I mean, it was kind of the who's who of Republican lore in Florence sure. County. Um, I told the campaign and and Jail vouched for this. I'd be careful with that. What do you mean, be careful with this? This is who everybody wants on their list. Ah, that's who everybody wanted on their list. You still want their thousand bucks. But I'm not sure you want the public knowing that those 60 or 70 high-ranking Republican insiders from our area, I'm not sure you want to make that as publicly known. There was a day you did it to, to basically just, I mean, that, that's the end of that. Look at the list he has, man. Look at all those names on that list. I mean, there, there's no way he'll lose. Well, I, I think in today's political world, a, a rank-and-file Republican voter sees that invitation with that list of people. You know what they all of a sudden think? Insider, insider, um, power, you know what I mean? The central centralizing of power. And I think consciously and subconsciously Republican primaries or primary voters are put off by that. So, so if I had to run against Russell Fry, Barbara Arthur, Ken Richardson, and I was the incumbent, I doubt I would have ever told anybody I was on the ways and means. Now, when I get in a chamber function with 20 or 25 people and we kind of speak inside baseball and this bill coming out of subcommittee and that bill coming through full committee, I think it's it's probably appropriate and okay to do that. But but just out amongst the masses in this very contrarian era in American politics, I think the more of an outsider you appear to be, the more likely it is you're going to be successful. Let's go to the phone. Sam in Hartsville. Good morning, Sam. Uh, good morning. 
just got some uh, information. I don't know if you ever passed it on or not. Uh, the way to get a sample ballot for your district, scvotesc.gov, and it'll pull up the site, a couple of drop-downs, put some personal information in there, and they give you a sample ballot that everything's on there. Okay, Sam, somebody, I thank you, appreciate the call and the heads up. Someone asked me about that last week, and I, I told them I'd do, I'd, I'd do some, and I didn't. I mean, I, I really got involved in this. I mean, I actually paid a little membership fee for the Cook Political Report. For the Cook Political Report, they had a special, like a 72-hour special for a little or nothing, kind of an introductory offer. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, and I they did that. Yeah, they, yeah, they, 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 yeah, it kind of got addictive to me. <laughs> I mean, that's where I came up with all these numbers and this oh. data. And I'll tell you the most interesting number to me. Uh, I mean, I, you know, the, the Republicans are going to win the House. The Republicans are going to win the Senate. The, the interesting part of all this to me is the Democrats are not going to spend money in Ohio or up until now. In their first $50 million, yes, $50 million tranche in the um, Priorities USA, no money in Ohio. For the first $106 million from the Senate Majority Polit- Political Action Committee, no money in Ohio. Um, Paul Ryan, excuse me, not Paul Ryan, uh, Tim Ryan. Uh, congressman from Ohio is a very relatable, electable Democrat. And I just, when you look at the wrong track, or the right track, wrong track of the Biden disapprovals, I just think they, they believe they're wasting their money in a state that is trending red, especially in this midterm. Let's go to the phone. Here's Jamie. Morning, Jamie. Good morning, fellas. Can uh, you nail me? Um, you know, him being on the uh, Ways and Means Committee, that means that he gave something up to be powerful on that committee. And what he gave up probably was important to us. And I'd much rather vote for, as Renzi said, a rookie um, who has no, um, you know, no debt to anybody and do something for us here in, in the uh, sixth district. And um, that's why I'm, you know, you know I've been pushing Barbara Arthur, and I'm telling you, the uh, fella that's uh, – I, I don't even care to remember his name who's given um, Tom Rice a run, who's got the Trump endorsement. He's an insider. Uh, you know, he's already tainted as far as I'm concerned. And I say let's put a, let's put a rookie up there and, you know, let's, let's put a rookie up there. That's what I've got to say. Jim, let me ask Thank you a question. You, you, you still there? Yeah, I want to do this this week. I want to find out. Okay, you're a Barbara Arthur supporter, and you made that public. Uh, when 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 the when the consolidation happens, in other words, when 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 the Arthur voters and the and the Richardson voters and the Fry voters and the Barton voters and the the Morris voters, will you go back two weeks later and vote for a guy despite him not being your first choice to try and get rid of an incumbent? Absolutely. Okay, that's interesting to me. I mean, because that, that's going to be the fundamental question. I mean, that, that really, thank you, Jam. Appreciate you answering that. And that's the question I want to pose to all of our listeners because I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I don't know how many Arthur supporters will say, nope, if it's not hers, nobody. I don't know how many Fry supporters will say, nope, if it's not Russell, is no, is no, I mean, I have no idea. I mean, I think we're headed to a runoff. And I think the runoff will be between the incumbent Tom Rice and the endorsed, the Trump endorsed Russell Fry. 
Um, what does the Arthur voter think? What does the Barton voter think? What does the Richardson voter think? Um, I don't know. Don't have any idea. Um, what is the storyline in Horry County where 53% of the votes are? I don't know. I mean, I think I have a, a casual understanding of that, but it'll be interesting to watch it play itself out. Let's go to the phone, then we'll take a break. Barry and Sherrod. Good morning, Barry. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, great discussions this morning, uh, Ken. Way to uh, leave Monday off and get us going. Hey, uh, I, I got a chance to listen to Barbara Arthur yesterday, uh, and she's really compelling. Uh, I was on the I was on the fence between her and Doc, uh, being him from Sherrod, but I, I go by what you say about numbers, right? Um, I got to go with Barbara because uh, she she has a, a great story. She, like you said, she's a rookie. Uh, throw her in there. And, and here's the key in Chesterfield County, Ken. We're having a big sheriff's race, right? First time in, I can't remember, 10, 20 years that a uh, Republican is running. They always run on the Democratic side. So it's going to be a big turnout in Chesterfield County. If she can, if she can get most of those votes in Chesterfield County, it'll be a little bit more. Don't 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 count her out, Ken. Uh, she's going to be there tomorrow, and uh, look forward. Um, you answered some good questions, and um, y'all have a great week. Well, let me, hang with me for a second. You ready? Okay. Right, okay. You're, you're an author yep. supporter. If she doesn't yep. make the runoff, are you going back and support the candidate who's running against absolutely. the incumbent? Okay, absolutely. That, that's that. A- absolutely. Anybody? Hey, anybody but right. That sap sucker yesterday, he he got my blood pressure going, and and like a caller said earlier, uh, he the Eighth Amendment. He says nothing about it. He I've, I've yet to see the guy ever come through my my town. I've seen all these candidates come through Sherrill, um uh, that's running against him. So absolutely, I will be back in two weeks, uh, run uh, voting against him again. Thank you, Barry. Appreciate that. That's the uh, first time I heard the word sap sucker in a long time. <laughs> Huh? <laughs> yeah. I know. We've heard Bree said ruint. <laughs> and now Barry says sapsucker. Yeah. This is really and truly the crossroads of intellect or what is it? Red, what was the thing where you say redneck, redneck intellect? And intellect. Or, yeah. Redneck <laughs> and intellect. Whatever. Whatever it is. I love it. A bunch of redneck, a little bit of intellect. How about that? Take a break. Back in a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays 843-661937. We're going to do trivia after our next break, next, next, ah, next and last break. But. Um, we're waiting on a shipment of shirts. Am I right? You you update me on that. That rep. is right. We've had supply issues and all this. Um, yep. I got a buddy who's waiting on a part for a car. He's been waiting like three months. Mm. I mean, seriously. I mean, they, they're giving him a user or rental or something. But and it's not like a big. It's not like a motor. It's like some valve or something uh, module. And he's waited ninety days, going on one hundred twenty days. Crazy. But we think we'll have shirts by. But I'm not sure okay, when they'll we're arrive. Not sure. Maybe later this week. We're maybe working next week. on it as we speak, tirelessly, tirelessly trying to locate. I guess what uh, we where the shirts are is if you win the shirt and win the trivia today, and we have a few probably off-size shirts left. And before, if you want to, what wait, do you mean off-size? Well, I mean we might have some mediums or smalls or something, and not in a variety of colors. So if you scrawny called in and win, we'll probably have you a shirt. If you groan, see, we probably won't have you one that fits. I'm not exactly sure what we have left, but uh, if not, then give us a week or two and we should have. A week or two? Yeah. Days? You said weeks? I, I it takes see. a week or two to get shirts? I don't know. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Um, Apparently it's pretty busy. But we're going to do some trivia after we take this break. Kind of an interesting, well, I mean, I think it's an interesting trivia question. It kind of plays into 
um, the reign of Queen Elizabeth, who has been what's platinum jubilee, 70 years of being royalty. Take a break. Back in a minute. 